The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Bowl season is here. The coaching carousel is in full swing. The transfer portal is bigger than ever. And we're excited to dive into our preparations for 2022. But we'd also like to offer a sincere thank you to everyone who signed up this year at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Whether you join Tier 1 for a single month or have been a Tier 3 member for years, your contribution helps keep us up and running and funds updates and new features. We smashed our previous records in 2021, both in terms of members and funds, and plan to invest that support into future projects to provide more value to listeners, readers, and subscribers in 2021 and beyond. Thank you for making 2021 our most successful season yet, and for helping pave the road to an even better 2022. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen, at CFB Winning Edge on the Twitter for him, and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And look, uh, last week's show ran long. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. We're not going to be able to cover it all today on the show and get all the bowl games in. So I will just hand it to Nick immediately. Uh, you know, I'm running up to you. I'm handing you the thing immediately and saying, is there anything from the last batch of bowl games or the COVID cancellations? What is it specifically that you want to uh, uh, talk about before we talk about the uh, bowl games for this upcoming week? Well, there's nothing, I guess, immediately uh, incredibly important. Um, just part of my day to day right now, I've, I've mentioned before trying to uh, catch up and, and finalize all the information in our FBS team profiles. I've gone through all the defensive uh, production points are up to date. I'm now going through the offensive line, looking at like, you know, PFF grades and snap counts and things like that, trying to get all of that organized. And, uh, you know, we're, we're actually making a lot of headway on being in a, a pretty good place to finalize the 2021 season and be ready for 2022. But while doing that, you know, and, and just sort of all the, the other, because uh, of course the, the transfer portal stuff is uh, as crazy as ever, if not more so, I'm noticing a lot of the, you know, roster changes, things that, that are going to be happening uh, next year and, and, you know, keep, keep seeing, it seems like every 15 minutes we're getting a, you know, starter, uh, from a Mountain West team entering the transfer portal. I mean, uh, just looking at uh, Wyoming the day after their bowl game was over, they had several big name players, uh, you know, starter, multi-year starters on both sides of the football, both quarterbacks, uh, one of the most explosive receivers in college football, a couple of guys starting in the, the uh, secondary, entered the transfer portal. So Wyoming is going to look completely different. Hawaii is going through something right now. The last you know 48 hours or so, we've seen uh, about half a dozen major impact players enter the transfer portal. Of course, we talked about Utah or, or excuse me, uh, 
Nevada and, and their uh, changes. And so that's just, I guess, you know, top of mind for me is we've touched on it a lot already and we will continue to talk in further detail, but just we're going to see a, a ton of change uh, more so than ever this you know, upcoming off season. And it seems to be for whatever reason, at least the what's top of mind right now, really concentrated in, in the mountain West uh, so far as, as far as, you know, the bowl games themselves, it's, it's a little bit difficult to navigate. And I'm sure we'll talk about plenty of the same issues we've discussed before as we, you know, talk about uh, the games that, that are still on our uh, slate to play, but with, you know, uh, COVID issues. We've had multiple games canceled. We've had others, uh, you know, bring up new opponents, two of which we'll talk about uh, today. And then just it's it's kind of difficult to get a handle on, okay, this guy's, uh, uh, you know, out due to injury. These four guys are out uh, unexpectedly right at kickoff. I mean, there was Mississippi State announced uh, within an hour of kickoff um, that, you know, they were going to be without multiple starters. So I've said it before, say it again, I'm sure, but it's, it's really feeling like 2020 right now. And then we're just in a, a period in the calendar where so much is changing because guys are, you know, entering the transfer portal, of course, coaching changes, all that, but also just trying to keep up with us, as much information as we can uh, with, you know, late injuries, late scratches, COVID issues, all that. There's there is a lot going on. Just you know, as we're we're getting toward the the very last stretch here of of games for the 2021 season. Yeah, Javier. I mean, it feels like a you know a permanent fire drill at this yep. point uh, with all the COVID nonsense that we have happening. But um, I mean, obviously, you were at the Georgia State game on Christmas Day, so that was a nice present for you. Merry Christmas! Absolutely. So uh, that had to be a fun one. But uh, what from the you know this last weekend bowls, did you want to, uh, you know, mention here before we get to previewing this next slate? Yeah. I mean, you might as well start betting the overs right now. These, some of these games have just been some absolute like fire fests. And it's honestly on top of that, it, it, when you're looking at a lot of these games this year so far, they, it's not even close when they do go over one team just happens to carry the weight uh, of the over. Like we're talking about with the Georgia state game, they put up 51 points uh, the day after in the quick lane, Detroit bowl, Western Michigan puts up 52 against Nevada and, and just some of the offensive just uh, performances that we've seen so far. You know, I, I talked about it in the last podcast that offense, you know, has been carrying in these, in these bowl games. I'm going to continue that trend probably today because really outside of a couple of games, uh, most notably Houston, Auburn and, and Minnesota, West Virginia, they, they, these teams have been putting up points uh, well, and, and Mississippi State. But, you know, these teams have been putting up points in these bowl games that are, are well more indicative of, of what I would have expected coming into a lot of these bowl games this year. Yeah, it's been uh, these games have been definitely interesting. And they're like I'm kind of right down the middle on my picks. I know I've been like hovering around 500. So it hasn't been great for me. Uh, Xavier, how have you how have you felt? like picking these games because I think Ooh. I'm like a maybe two or three games over 500, which I feel like is rare for bowl season, but so many opt-outs and COVID issues, it's just hard to know right now. 
yeah, there's been very few games that I feel like 100% comfortable going into, right? Like you right. look at the, the 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 Miami of Ohio North Texas game. I think I was like 100% behind North Texas winning that ball game. Miami of Ohio for the most part like just picked them apart. Wire to wire. Yeah. Right. You know, UCF Florida, we talked about maybe Florida finally puts the talent on display. Shows up for like a quarter, UCF dominates the rest of the way. Uh, even Houston Auburn as close as that game was, I didn't expect it to be that close. I expected Houston to rather dominate that ma- that matchup, and Auburn did a pretty good job keeping it close uh, with Houston needing a lot, la- you know, uh, having to go ahead and win with a go-ahead score. So, like, I haven't felt comfortable whatsoever. Uh, heck, I even picked Mississippi State over Texas Tech, and that was awful. I mean, Texas Tech dominated that matchup. That was, I mean, finish. that was the most shocking one to me. Yeah, that if, was. If I'm ooh. being honest here, that one I was just, I, first of all, I'm very happy to see it because I don't like my coach at all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I picked te- I picked uh, Mississippi State, and I thought that this was kind of an easy game to pick. Mm-hmm. Complete opposite of what I thought. So, But did like seeing that stupid look on Mike Leach's face after the game. So he looks so – when he looks sad, you can see it, like, all over his face. He just looks dejected. Like, yeah. there's no hiding it. He has no poker face. I would love to yeah. pick poker with him because I would win a <laughs> lot. Like, he's awful at hiding his emotions. That yes. game was – yeah, that game went bad, went south quickly. So, yeah, very much so. Very much so. So uh, but, you know, like Nick said, uh, interesting so far. But uh, let's get to the bowl games that are coming up this week. And we open up, Nick, with the Duke's Mayo Bowl, of course, steeped in tradition. Right. Uh, North Carolina versus South Carolina. Nine and a half points spread in North Carolina's favor. Uh, Fifty eight is the over here. A decent amount of opt-outs for uh, South Carolina, but I do. Uh, Sal's, uh, Sam Howell's playing, right? So um, that is interesting for North Carolina. So uh, how do we see this game going? Uh, this one is a pretty clear, uh, you know, our, our projections, which have not been good. I mean, I don't have to. I don't have to maybe go through in detail as I uh, sometimes do during the regular season, but we've, we've continued to, to struggle, unfortunately. So I guess take everything uh, for what it's worth that, that these haven't been, you know, super, uh, super impactful or, or super uh, predictive so far, but you know, our, our projections do see a pretty clear edge here that North Carolina you know, should be closer to a two touchdown favorite than a nine and a half point favorite in this game. We've, we've, you know, talked before about how some teams might be difficult to trust and, and why, uh, you know, obviously there are plenty of outside factors, motivation, in addition to just what guys will or will not be available. Uh, and, you know, if you were to guess which of these two teams would be most motivated it probably would be south carolina even though both teams have what identical records right six and six three and five in conference north carolina was a far more disappointing team coming into the season had acc championship aspirations i know they were even uh on some people's short list for uh playoff uh, predictions and South Carolina had little to no expectations the first year of Shane Beamer's uh, you know tenure there, and they were able to to fight and claw their way to bowl eligibility. So you would think you know hey this is a, a celebration for South Carolina they're going to come out and uh, just you know play loose and and what have you and maybe North Carolina you know doesn't want to be there and and oh it's so disappointing you know, we should have been a a much better team and maybe they'll just mail it in 
and then and get ready for uh 2022 but i think the fact that sam howell said you know hey i want to play in this game i want to go out the right way maybe that flips it a little bit and and maybe uh that actually gives north carolina some you know maybe maybe is a, a reason to stand behind sort of what the numbers say because they should have a clear advantage, especially at the, the quarterback position. I mean, Santa Howell is one of the best quarterbacks in, in college football. And, and uh, I know his, his sort of draft stock seems to be floating around a little bit coming into the season. It seemed like he uh, had a pretty good chance to be one of the you know first or second, maybe uh, quarterback taken in the spring. I've seen things bounce around a little bit since, um, but he's, he's been a factor. He's been a, uh, you know, big time performer. He's run a little bit more than I think anybody expected him to, this year, I mean, 11 touchdowns, he, he could, if with a big game, uh, approach a thousand rushing yards this year, which uh, I think took a, a lot of folks by surprise. But, um, you know, if 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 Howell plays and if he plays up to his full potential, you have to say, think that North Carolina's got a pretty big edge there with uh, South Carolina starting Zeb Nolan, the former uh, GA who stepped in because of, you know, injuries and other uh, things at the quarterback position because South Carolina had turned to Jason Brown at quarterback, the the transfer coming in from the FCS level. He since entered the transfer portal after South Carolina added Spencer Rattler. So, you know, they've, they've got completely uh, a completely different quarterback situation. There are a lot of, uh, you know, moving parts where North Carolina's had the same guy in for three years, and this is going to be his uh, sort of send off. But, uh, you know, these are, a uh, the biggest thing that 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 strikes me first is kind of a uh, weakness versus weakness. The South Carolina offense doesn't grade out particularly well in our team performance ratings. They're 109th overall offensively, 117th uh, in rushing offensive team performance, which I think surprises a lot of people given the depth and talent that they've got at the running back position. But the offensive line just hasn't quite been able to get going. They're in 101st in offensive line uh, performance so far. Going up against a North Carolina defense that's been the real sort of Achilles heel uh, for the Tar Heels. That was unexpected, believe it or not. Uh, but they, you know, North Carolina ranks 103rd in defensive team performance overall, 100th against the pass, 89th against the run, and their defensive line also ranks in triple digits in D-line performance at, at 109. So North Carolina's got a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball, and, and they're kind of similar to some other units that we've talked about, uh, you know, Texas from time to time, USC, Miami, where, you know, if you're just looking at, recruiting ratings and, and even production levels because they've got some really productive, you know, linebackers, Taman Fox, Jeremiah Gamel, uh, the defensive line, Tamari Fox and, and Miles Murphy have had, you know, good production numbers in the past, but they just haven't quite been able to, to play up to that level uh, of performance. So, you know, what are we going to see? Are we, are we going to see, uh, South Carolina maybe be able to, to run the football better than you know we would have expected. Uh, are we going to be able to to you know that that passing offense, which is not spectacular, eighty third in, in passing offensive team performance? Are they going to be able to test that North Carolina secondary that ranks in in uh, you know triple digits 
in pass defense. So it, it's kind of, you know, matchup wise, uh, which unit will maybe, you know, not disappoint if that makes sense out of those two units that so far have been, uh, have been rough at times on the other side, South Carolina, uh, you know, has done a pretty good job defending the past teams have been able to run the ball against them. They're at 90th in defensive team performance, uh, rushing, but 17th with the pass. So, you know, North Carolina should be a pretty, uh, they're, they're a pretty balanced offense, even though the rushing numbers have actually been a little bit better than the passing numbers this year. We know when Sam Howell can connect with Josh Downs, have an opportunity for a big play uh, anytime, you know, you can get down to the football. So uh, on paper and on our projections, pretty clear North Carolina, uh, you know, we have them favored by 13 almost uh, in our official numbers, the talent edge numbers, which have been, the, the talent edge so far this year has been laughably uh, unpredictive. We're currently on a one and 17 run on the team that has the talent edge. Uh, you know, as, as far as our projections go, the, the, the point spread, <laughs> the, the team with a, a you know, uh, anyway, that's been laughably, laughably bad. So maybe this is a, a bad sign here, but uh, North Carolina has a talent edge that would cover the nine and a half. And the, the stats only model is very, very close. So this isn't quite an all three agree, uh, but that prism uh, projected scoring margin point spread is 9.3, uh, just shy of that nine and a half. But our final score prediction on the, this one is 36 to 23. That'd be slightly over and would be on North Carolina to cover. Nine and a half is a big number. So far, we've seen, you know, big favorites mentioned Texas Tech earlier was a, a 10 point favorite. Uh, that that's not necessarily been uh, a pretty good spot this year, uh, you know, this bowl season so far, but at least early on our numbers show uh, North Carolina being a clear favorite, rightly favored. It's just whether or not North Carolina will show up and, and uh, play to those expectations, which obviously they've, they've struggled doing uh, so far this year. Xavier, I don't care what number tells me that uh, you know South Carolina is going to win this game. It doesn't make any difference to me. I'm taking North Carolina. Yeah. You know, like like Nick mentioned, a GA a start as your starting quarterback, you lose your NFL talent all opting out, and the NFL talent staying from North Carolina. There's no number uh, that that matters to me uh, right. that is in South Carolina's favor. So, are you on that too, or is there a sliver of hope for South Carolina? No, the fighting chain beamer, beamers are going to go down in a heap. Um, <clears throat> and it's really for what Nick was saying. I don't believe that the South Carolina offense can take a, advantage of what UNC does poorly. And <clears throat> not just from a sense of, oh, you know, South Carolina's offense isn't potent enough. But even in South Carolina's best performances this year, they've put up 40 points once this year. Or excuse me, twice. Other one was against an FCS opponent in Eastern Illinois and also against Florida uh, about a month ago. Outside of that, even in their wins, they're putting up 20 points a game. That's not going to get it done against this North Carolina team. You look at North Carolina's losses, and all of their losses except for one, and that was against Virginia Tech at the beginning of the year. They've put up 25-plus points in their losses. That's 25 against Florida State. That's 34 against U, uh, Notre Dame. That's 25 against Pittsburgh. That's 30 against NC State. Those are in their losses. So their offense has been putting up the, the numbers that you would expect them to put up week in and week out. Like I said, barring maybe the uh, barring the Georgia Tech game and the Virginia Tech game earlier in the year. 
But since those, they their offense has performed pretty well. So it, when you look at it that way, I don't even think South Carolina in holding this offense to a bad day can outscore them. And that's a problem, right? If North Carolina goes out there and, and a bad day for them would be, you know, 24 to 25 points, can South Carolina put up that much in, in a game like that? They haven't shown a consistency of being able to do it when you've done it only two times out of a, out of a 12-game season. And, and so I, I'm, I'm concerned in that regard. I think that North Carolina does enough. I'm also excited to see what Sam Howell does in this game because I want to see whether or not he protects his body a little bit more. Nick alluded to it. Sam Howell this year has had to run the football for this offense to stay on track in some games. And in some games, he's had to do it to win ball games, most notably the Wake Forest matchup. But with the draft looming at the end of the tunnel, does he take this game as an opportunity to show people what his arm talent is again? Right. Does he take this game as an opportunity to maybe, you know, he wants to play in it. But how bad does he want to win this game? That's my only concern as, a, as far as it goes for North Carolina is that is Sam Howell going to put his body on the line in a bowl game that outside of, you know, the, the quote unquote, you know, who runs North Carolina, South Carolina kind of rivalry doesn't really mean anything in the large scale of this, uh, you know, of the season. Does he take those runs that he's been doing all year in this ball game? Or is he a little bit more reluctant and sits in the pocket more, leading to that offensive line maybe being more susceptible to giving up a sack or two? You know, and that's my only concern here because if I'm Sam Howell, I'm thinking about the fact that even though my draft stock is, you know, taking a massive hit this year, I'm still a guy that, depending on how the pre-draft workouts go, I could still find myself as a late first rounder, early second rounder, to be perfectly honest with you. Especially when you go back and look at his tape this year and last year, somebody's going to fall in love with the kid. So I, I don't see why, you know, he doesn't take this game as a possible, oh, let me chill out. Let me not duck my head here. Let me let me not run on a third and six, and I, and we'll just live to see another drive, right? So I that's mean, the my current state of NFL quarterbacks, he's definitely going to go in the first round. Right. You know, exactly. You know, so, uh, yeah. So you're after, I mean, it's a very valid concern, but I mean, you're, it's, it's all North Carolina, right? Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, I still think North Carolina is able to get it done. I think they have too much offensive firepower for South Carolina to go, uh, to really go toe to toe with. When you look at South Carolina's wins, the, the, the team that they have been able to win offensively have been pretty loathsome. I mean, you look at it, Troy, Fandy, uh, Florida in that ball game in particular, Auburn, None of those offenses really, you know, you know, East Carolina, none of them throw you as an elite offense or, or even potent offenses uh, at time this year, at times this year. So I think this is a game that North Carolina is North Carolina's game to lose. And really, it's going to fringe on North Carolina's offense being as explosive, explosive as it has been all year. Yeah, exactly. So we roll on here to the Music City Bowl which is, of course, Tennessee versus Purdue. Tennessee comes in as a six-point favorite, 64-and-a-half, the over-under in this game, Nick. One of the higher over-unders left, and uh, I think it's going to play like that. I've got Tennessee here, but what say you? Yeah, the, the, our projections uh, are on Tennessee as well. Not a not a real big edge here. Uh, for just you know, basic percentage points. Our final score prediction is Tennessee to win 32-25, which would be a, a good bit under uh, that sixty-four and a half. But you know, I don't I don't feel great about that. Even though our over unders have been really really solid all year and and in bowl season have been decent. Uh, you know, the it, it's probably not accounting for. 
the the Purdue offense has really gotten going in the in the last month or so. I mean, they were uh, at times middle of the season, uh, basically from the the Notre Dame game up through uh, the Nebraska win, where Purdue was uh, really sluggish offensively. But in the month of November, and even against some really, you know, they played Michigan State and Ohio State uh, to open that month. They were, you know, over 6.7 yards per play in every game and then just really dominated Northwestern and Indiana to finish the season with over, well over seven points, or excuse me, seven yards per play in in both of those games. So uh, Purdue is coming along, but it is worth mentioning that uh, like a lot of you know, teams are dealing with opt-outs. Purdue specifically is, you know, going to be without David Bell, one of the best wide receivers in college football, who's an early, uh, you know, made his early declaration for the NFL draft. They're also going to be without Milton Wright, their number two uh, receiver. On the defensive side of the ball, their best defensive player, George Karloftis, has uh, opted out as an early NFL draft guy as well. So, you know, Purdue, it seems like, is going to be dealing with that sort of thing maybe a little bit more than Tennessee. I know Tennessee's got uh, Cade Mays won't play in this game, starting right tackle. But there are other guys who who I've got down as, you know, having accepted all-star game invites, Bayless Jones going to the Senior Bowl, uh, Matthew Butler, Alante Taylor, both going to, to all-star games. I think those guys are expected to play. Um, and then, you know, talk about one offense really sort of rounding into form. Tennessee has, has been like that as well. They, you know, obviously didn't play great against Georgia in November, but uh, finished really, really strong against pretty weak opponents, but South Alabama and Vandy – also both well over seven yards per play. Uh, and they were just absolutely explosive against a pretty good uh, Kentucky defense prior to that. They even played you know decently well against Alabama. So uh, the Tennessee offense, you know, not, not unexpected the way, uh, you know, Josh Heupel's units played at UCF. But as soon as he went to Hendon Hooker at quarterback, they seemed to really, you know, start to click and, and start to take off. And even though the, the raw yardage numbers maybe aren't uh, super impressive, they've consistently put up some pretty good, uh, you know, yards per play numbers, especially again in, in, in late November. So both of these offenses have been, pretty explosive recently. It's just whether or not one, it sounds like Hendon Hooker is dealing with a, a bit of a hand injury, uh, like a cut on his hand or something. I, I just saw a, a quick blurb. Uh, I haven't read all the, the detail yet, but that's maybe something to watch. But, you know, other than that, it's will Purdue be able to capture that production that is lost and guys like Bell and Wright not playing? Will they be able to run the football at all because Purdue finished the season ranked 129th in our rushing offense team performance. Uh, and, you know, will Tennessee be at full strength? Because they actually finished in the top 10 in rushing team performance offensively, top 20 overall. You know, will Hendon Hooker, will that hand allow him, one, to throw, two, to, you know, grip the football if he's uh, in there and, and uh, running, which, of course, he can uh, impact the game on the ground as well. And then which defense, you know, will be able to, to keep that opposing offense in check. Uh, as far as team performance goes, Purdue a little bit better. They ranked in the top 40 in overall defensive team performance in the top 40 against the pass 
Tennessee was 70th or worse in uh, overall defense, pass defense, and uh, 85th in, in rushing defense. So, you know, will Tennessee play a little bit better? Will they be able to take advantage of a Purdue offense that is shorthanded? Um, that, that to me, is, is uh, sort of the big question. Tennessee has a big, big talent edge. Mentioned before, that has not been – uh, very helpful as far as projecting these bowl games, but uh, Tennessee has you know just a, a small margin in our official projection uh, of you know six point nine right now. The talent edge is sixteen points, so big big edge there. But the stats only model likes Purdue has that uh, has Tennessee favored, but by fewer than three points. So uh, the projection is a little bit all over the place. I, I think. I like Tennessee. I think that Hooker's just going to have a little bit more to work with than Aiden O'Connell for Purdue. Uh, and without George Karloftis on that Purdue defense, that unit, you know, not going to be able to impact him as much. Impact Hooker, I mean, putting pressure on him because Karloftis is one of the best pass rushers in college football. So I, I think I like the projection here, even though it's not a, a big edge. I, I do like Tennessee to win. I do like them to cover. And again, that, that final score prediction, 32-25, maybe a little bit higher scoring than what we've got. But with the Purdue uh, situation on offense, I, I don't actually hate being on the under here. I, I understand that. Um, Xavier, With the, I didn't know about this Hendon Hooker hand thing. So that does throw a little bit of a wrench into this game. Um, but do you still think it's Tennessee as long as he plays? Are you on Purdue? Uh, how do you see the Music City Bowl going? I don't see the hand injury being that big of a deal. I mean, they're probably going to give him a bunch of painkillers and say go. Like, genuinely speaking, he's going to play this game. There's no way he does not play in this game, in my opinion. Um, and more importantly, I just don't think Purdue is going to be able to handle the pace of that offense. That is, that is, I think, if not top five, the fastest offense per play or, you know, they get the most plays off per minute in college football, at least they did throughout the first couple of weeks of the year. You know, they were averaging about four plays a minute. That's ridiculous. I mean, they they are one of the fat, quickest paced offenses in a very long time. And I'm not sure that Purdue is going to be able to run with them that way. Right. It's one thing, you know, when, when you watch them play and you can go back to the Georgia game, they had opportunities early in that game to really make it a ball game. They just happened to miss them. But even in that game, the pace really forced Georgia to struggle before Georgia got a lead large enough to where they could kind of slow the tempo down. I don't think that Purdue, you know, it's one thing to see it on film. It's another thing to, you know, for Tennessee to get a seven point, uh, a seven yard play and be at the line before you've caught your breath. Like those are two completely different things. And the other thing about them is they don't do not sub. They do this weird thing. And it's kind of fun. Uh, what I've been watching from Josh Heupel this year, what he'll do is to give his guys rest instead of uh, substituting. He'll just only run a play on one half of the field. The other half of the field will be completely dead. So he'll have his receivers run routes on one half, and the other two receivers will just sit and not do a thing. Yeah, and it, and it was devised for the guys to get a rest because they run so quickly, but they don't want to substitute because obviously that would allow the defense to get new guys in. So they have been doing that all year, and it's, it's been really cool to watch. And I, and I think genuinely in this game, Purdue's going to have a lot of problem with doing that. On top of that, what Nick was adding to, I don't know how well their offense is going to be able to sustain drives. Go ahead. I, I do have some numbers on pace, and these are only through 11 games. I didn't update them at the end of the regular season, but uh, Tennessee through 11 games averaged 20.3 uh, seconds per play, which was the fastest 
in the country. Ole Miss was number two at right, just a shade under 21 seconds. Mm -hmm. And then Kent State was at 21.08, was the uh, the only other offense under 22 seconds. So not only is, is Tennessee – you know, number one, but those top three teams are uh, basically a second faster than the, uh, you know, at, at least the rest of college football. So it's, it's significant. I mean, Tennessee, yeah. Pace isn't, isn't everything anymore. It's not quite as, as, uh, you know, there was, there was a while there where it was really right. uh, yeah. unique and a, and a major advantage, but it is, it is something that Tennessee does that, that, you know, at least Purdue probably hasn't seen, a ton because there aren't a whole lot of uh, Big Ten offenses that are that are very high on this list. That's what I was going to ask you. I was like, what is the highest Big Ten offense on that list? Penn <laughs> State you, you at fourteen uh, at twenty three point two, basically twenty three and a half seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, Maryland is top twenty, um, but yeah, I mean it's it's you know Northwestern top thirty, believe it or not. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not a whole lot of the teams that, uh, Purdue has played recently, you right. know, uh, <laughs> certainly in the middle of the season, to... Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, very, very different. Yeah, exactly. Right. Northwestern so, hey, is just trying to hurry up and get their defense back on the field. I think. So. <laughs> and that's my thing is, is so I I'm going, it's tough for me to find a way, especially with George call just sitting out and with some of the more dominant guys on their office sitting, uh, not being able to being available to that will, you know, Purdue begin to press, you know, there was a game in particular this year that Tennessee won over Kentucky where they had the ball. I think it was for 13 minutes. I think that was it. Like they, they, their time of possession, I think was, was 13 minutes and 24 seconds. And they put up 45 points. Like that's ridiculous. And, and I'm not sure if Purdue can run with those kind of, with, with that kind of numbers. You know, I talked about it a lot with uh, North Carolina and Tennessee's wins this year. They're putting up, astronomical numbers i mean their wins they, they, in their wins they put up 56 62 45 45 60 45 that's ridiculous offensive production in their wins and even in their losses they're not struggling that much out, outside of really the georgia game and uh the florida game those are the only two games in which they offense genuinely struggled to score 20 points so I, i'm not sure purdue can match that offensive production especially without uh, with missing david bell and company and i'm just you know with those two receivers out, does that change their entire offensive game plan? And are they going to try to slow it down a lot more and, and make their drives a lot more methodical to keep that Tennessee offense off the field? That's what I think they're going to do. But that's not what, in my opinion, when they've been at their best, they've been doing well, right? Taking shots is what Purdue in the upset wins that they have this year is what they were doing well. Giving David Bell the ball, you know, in that 200-yard game that he had, he only had 10 catches. So that means he was catching the ball, you know, well downfield more uh, for first downs more than not so like that is my biggest concern is without those two offensive guys uh, those two offensive weapons what is Purdue's offense actually going to look like and is it going to be able to run with Tennessee's offense I don't think so uh, the only thing that would get into Tennessee's way is turnovers and if that and that could obviously be, hamper them just as it hampers all teams but also I would like to see if the game gets tight does Tennessee's pace come back to bite them we see it all the time. Sometimes teams move too fast and they give offenses and other teams opportunities to score late because their offense can't slow down. They don't have the ability to run a, you know, six, seven minute drive to take the game away because their offense is built to run three and four minute drives. So that's the only thing I can see getting in the way of that. Otherwise, I think Tennessee wins this game. Um, and I think it's been a pretty good first year for for Josh Heupel and pretty much all of the coaches 
all the new coaches in the SEC, I think would have a thumbs up for most of them at this point. Uh, all right. So the next game up here is going to be the Peach Bowl, which is Pitt versus Michigan State. Pitt at two and a half point favorite. 56 is the over. No Kenny Pickett, no Kenneth Walker. I know there's uh, other guys missing in this game as well, Nick, but those are the two big ones. Welcome to the Peach Bowl. The two best players on the field are gone to the NFL. So uh, how do you see this game playing out? Because obviously no Kenny Pickett, no Kenneth Walker throws an enormous wrench into this one. Two of the best players in college football, right? I mean, uh, Kenny Pickett was a, a Heisman finalist. Walker was fifth, I think. Just just missed the cut for for being a finalist. But obviously, uh, huge huge year. Both of those guys, incredible. You know, the, those two players played such a huge role in both of these teams. Uh, you know overachieving uh, a lot of folks preseason expectations at least i mean you know kenny pickett made a, a one made himself a ton of money by coming back to college for that extra year of eligibility uh but was able to you know just just really elevate his play kenneth walker i mean the same made himself a lot of money probably could be one of the top running backs drafted but uh in in a different way you know change of scenery certainly worked out for him, but without those two guys, yeah, it's, it's a little bit difficult to really project this game because, you know, the way we do things, we, we take into account those team performance ratings. I, I mentioned them in every uh, preview we do, and they're a little misleading, uh, you know, right now for a lot of teams, but especially for a team like Pitt, because, you know, this, this Pitt offense ranked number five in our uh, passing offensive team performance. That rating goes into their projection in this game, but without Kenny Pickett and, you know, without, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he will have the, the backup quarterback, Nick Patty will have, uh, you know, Jordan Addison and, and, you know, Tysir Mack is not going to play in this game, but the receiving core for the most part is, is going to be, relatively intact but still pretty significant drop there from Pickett to Patty at least as far as our team ratings go and you would expect that probably and keep in mind that they lost their offensive coordinator Mark Whipple has already left the staff and, and gone to Nebraska is this the number five passing offense in college football heading into the you know that will be on the field in this game probably not but I can't quite say oh it's going to be 25th or it's going to be 50th you know it, it, it's it, it's it's really difficult to kind of change uh, those numbers based on you know not having Kenny Pickett because we don't know exactly how it's how it's going to play out. But that just is a sort of long-winded uh, example. There we have Pitt favored in this game, and a big part of it is the the work that Kenny Pickett had done uh, and how that factors into our projection. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like we're necessarily on the right side there, obviously because Michigan state is favored in this game and it keeps moving in the direction of Michigan state, because as good as Kenneth Walker is, you know, the Spartans will, will probably be able to run the football. Not, you know, it's not going to completely, uh, fall off their, their rushing offense. They've got guys like Jordan Simmons, Harold Joyner, Elijah Collins, who can, uh, you know, work behind an offensive line decently well. They might not 
be quite as physical or explosive as Kenneth Walker, but the drop off isn't as huge as it is when you're when you're having to replace uh, you know one of the best quarterbacks in, in college football. They also are going to get a little bit of a boost with their passing offense and, and Michigan State's passing offense a little bit underrated this year, probably in a lot of people's eyes. They rank 31st in our passing offensive team performance. Uh, Peyton Thorne, you know, not the most exciting quarterback in college football, but he's he's done some good things this year and really solidified that position, which was a major question mark coming into the season. Jaden Reed seems to be mulling, uh, you know, his NFL draft future, and they'll also be getting Jalen Naylor back, who's missed a, a handful of games uh, with a hand injury. He looks like he's 100% or close to it and is expected to play. So I think Michigan State will be able to, to cover up, you know, the, the absence of Kenneth Walker a little bit better than Pitt will be able to cover up the absence of Kenny Pickett. Uh, defensively, um, Michigan State might not be at full strength. Uh, Cravers Crouch has missed some time with injury, and he sounds you know questionable uh, to to play in this game. Uh, but uh, you know that that Michigan State defense teams have been able to run the ball, or excuse me, teams have been able to throw. They rank 86th in, in defensive team performance against the pass, but teams really have struggled against uh, Michigan State running the football. They rank 12th in that category. Similar numbers to Pitt defensively. Pitt uh, is a top 10 rushing defense in our calculations, but ranked 68th against the pass. But they're a top 15 unit overall compared to Michigan State being uh, 45th. So Pitt, which shouldn't have uh, a ton of opt-outs, they will be without uh, Damari Mathis starting corner, but I think everybody else, as far as I know, will be back. And, you know, that unit is, is just a little bit better, uh, statistically speaking, than Michigan State. So I don't necessarily hate that. think that that shapes up okay for us being uh, on pit, you know, potentially to win this game. Maybe we get a little bit of an old school pit, you know, 2020 or, or prior uh, type game where they really lean on that defense. Um but that that maybe is our our best hope here because Michigan State, despite you know missing one of the best players in, in college football, good enough on defense and I think uh, balanced enough on offense that they will be able to uh, you know at least stress that pit uh, pass defense a little bit. So I, I completely understand why Michigan State is favored in this game. Um, I, I don't love that we have pit. Uh, as a you know, basically a, a three and a half, four point favorite, uh, we have Pitt winning 31 27. There have been plenty of upsets. It, it wouldn't shock me if Pitt wins this game, but that Kenny Pickett loss and, and the downgrade, at least as far as our individual player ratings go, from Pickett, who's a max 100 rated player, to Nick Patty, who's played just a handful of games uh, and, and is a 78 rated player, is, is pretty significant and might be, might be difficult to overcome in this one. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, uh, it's a hard game to pick. We don't know what is going to happen going in. Both these teams missing their best weapon on offense. So uh, how do you see it going? I'm pretty confident in Michigan State in this one. And <clears throat> I know that's no surprise to anybody who's listening to this podcast because I've been a pretty Michigan State-heavy person over the last, like, three weeks. But I just just pit offense without Kenny Pickett. I'm just concerned about what it will look like. Like, yeah, Nick you know, alluded to the fact that they'll have their receivers, well, at least Jordan Addison, but this offense has been so pass-heavy this year, right? This Pittsburgh offense has been 
so reliant on Kenny Pickett, not just this year, genuinely speaking, but over you know the duration of his career, that what is this Pittsburgh offense really going to bring to the table without him, you know, calling the plays, being the guy to man, you know, to man the lines? And Nick also alluded to the fact that they're without their offensive coordinator and they don't have a uh, a seasoned signal caller. I'm going with Michigan State all the way, right? Do I believe in enough? Do I believe in Peyton Thorne enough to get the job done in that game? Yeah, I do. I think. Like Nick alluded to, Michigan State will find a way to run the football. Will they not have a guy who who's you know who has been as explosive as, as Kenneth Walker? Yeah, probably not. That's why he's RB one. That's why he was getting those many touches a game. That's why he was so deadly. And Pitt's defense will probably play them a little bit different due to that fact. But also, you've got to pretty much throw like fifty percent of Michigan State's offensive film out the window. Because Kenneth Walker was the offense for so for so much of it, so you're gonna have to look at you know what does Michigan State do now when you know that when they go three and four wide, is Pittsburgh prepared for that? Because Michigan State hasn't had to do it all year because their run game has been so potent and has been such a, a, a you know a factor in them winning ball games that now Peyton Thorne dropping back and throwing the ball would probably be about thirty five you know thirty five times this game. Plus, this would be a little new. It'll be a little different wrinkle for for. Pittsburgh to have to deal with where, you know, in the past they would be expecting 40 care, you know, 30, 35 carries for Kenneth Walker, 25 to 27 passes for Peyton Thorne. And that would be, you know, that would kind of be the MO of Michigan State's offense. Now it's going to look a little bit different. And he's getting Jalen Naylor back, which is huge because Naylor is, in my opinion, by far and away their best receiver. Uh, he was last year, in my opinion. Uh, him and Jaden Reed, those two together are, are one of the best one-two punches in the Big Ten. And so having that, that combination is going to be huge for them. Um, when you look at Pittsburgh, the only thing I will say and, and why you know I, I feel like you know, they're still favored is their defense has been pretty good, uh, you know, especially against the past. You know, if you look at, you know, more importantly, you look at, you know, their game against Wake Forest, that's probably the best passing team that they've played all year. And they picked off Sam Hartman four times. So, you know, you look at it in that regard, you know, that their secondary hasn't had to do too much this year, but keep them in games or their, their, their defense has had to be very bend, don't break. But in a game which they needed their secondary to step up against a Wake Forest offense that was very pass heavy, they stepped up in a major way. So I will say that, you know, Pittsburgh definitely has an opportunity to win this game. I just do not trust that offense without Kenny Pickett manning it. I'll just be 100% honest with you. So I'm going to go with Michigan State to win this game. Uh, I am one and one in my picks with Michigan State this year. So this is this is the rubber match that I need to go by way. Uh, how about the Las Vegas Bowl here, Nick? Wisconsin versus Arizona State. Uh, six point is the spread in favor of the Badgers. 41 is the over. We expect a low-scoring affair here. I know it's an uphill battle for Arizona State as a mainly running team, and both their running backs opt out. So it uh, doesn't look like this is going to be a good one for the Devils, but uh, how do you see this game going? Yeah, I, I think I agree uh, with you. And, you know, unfortunately, that means I disagree with our projection. We do have Wisconsin favored to win. And, and I do think that that's, you know, obviously they're, they're rightly favored, but we're on Arizona State to cover. And, and I, I don't feel great about that because Arizona State is just a team that has been really, really difficult to trust this year. Our projections were too high on them in the preseason. Uh, they've certainly disappointed. Uh, and, you know, they, they've been uh, a team that, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying they, they lay an egg every week, but it's become almost expected. I, you know, I don't, I don't quite know how to, to, to say it, but I, I feel like I find myself 
just getting disappointed by Arizona State on a, on a semi-weekly basis. And uh, with a defense, you know, in addition to, to not having his top two running backs, Rashad White, who's off to the NFL, uh, Demonte Trainum, who's actually transferred to Ohio State to play linebacker, uh, you know, we should get hopefully uh, an extended look at Daniel Ngata, uh, see what he can do at, at running back there. But yeah, going up against a Wisconsin defense that is one of the best in college football. They rank third in overall defensive performance, number one against the run uh, and top 10 still against the pass. Look at individual statistics. They rank number one nationally in uh, yards per play allowed against FBS opponents. They rank number one in success rate allowed uh, against FBS opponents filtered for garbage time. Number two in predicted points added per play defensively. Top five in points per drive and top 20 in yards per pass attempt again against FBS opponents. So, you know, that's going to be difficult for even a uh, Arizona State offense at full strength. Uh, but not only will they be out without those running backs, they've had injuries in the receiving core, they've had some guys transfer. Uh, they will be without their starting center, Donovan West, all Pac-12 center. Uh, won't be able to play in this game due to injury. And they're missing some guys on defense as well, which, you know, Wisconsin's offense isn't spectacular by any means. They're ranked 62nd overall in offensive team performance, uh, 107 passing, but 42 uh, running the football, and they're probably even a little bit better than that with a top 25 offensive line and true freshman Braylon Allen, who is a you know second team All Big Ten guy, thousand yard rusher, just a, an incredible player to watch. What I'm already becoming one of my favorite running backs in college football, but you know that Arizona State defense mostly uh, hurt in the back seven due to opt outs with Darian Butler, Chase Lucas, and Jack Jones. Uh, not expected to play in this game, but you know they've also had some injuries on the defensive line. Uh, that unit has been a little bit of a disappointment this year. They actually rank 81st in defensive line performance rating this year, despite having a, a unit that you know was fringe top 35, top 40, uh, just as far as pure talent goes. And you know, looking item by item, their uh, starters and uh, you know the two deep had the potential to be a, a top 15, top 20 type unit uh, has been a, been a disappointment. So, you know, Arizona state uh, statistically is, is decent. And that's part of the reason why I feel like we consistently overrate them is some of the statistical uh, factors for whatever reason, they're not able to capitalize and, and just turn those into points and wins. But, you know, Arizona state 21st in overall team performance. Uh, they rank 17th in offensive team performance. They rank 29th in defensive team performance. But, you know, it, it feels like that this is a game that Wisconsin should be, you know, should maybe win by double digits, even though the Wisconsin offense doesn't often, uh, you know, pull away from teams. I mean, they certainly have at times. They won you know, at 35 to seven against Northwestern, 52 to three against Rutgers, even 27 to seven against Iowa. So that, you know, they've, they've had some double digit multi-touchdown uh, wins. But when we think of Wisconsin, we think of, okay, kind of a slow, low scoring game, which this game kind of feels like, and, you know, maybe, maybe a one score. And in that sense, 
I would feel okay maybe about uh, Arizona State being able to, to keep it close, but this just feels feels like a game that Wisconsin is, is going to be able to sort of impose its will running the football, and I just don't really trust that Arizona State offense, especially if it turns out to be kind of one-dimensional without its you know top weapons at, at running back, uh, without you know at least one starter on the offensive line. I just I feel like Arizona State's going to really really struggle to get things going offensively. Wisconsin might you know if if that's the case should win the field position battle. I trust the Wisconsin defense maybe to uh, force some mistakes from Jaden Daniels or or some of the you know younger skill position players uh, that that he's having to work with. I just I would feel a lot better if we were on Wisconsin to cover here. Definitely will be rooting. Uh, for Arizona State to, to keep it close, 26-22 is our uh, projected final score. Uh, that seems you know, maybe a little too high scoring given uh, the, the number being 41. But yeah, this, this feels like a Wisconsin 10-point win. Unfortunately, that doesn't quite line up with our projection where, where we have Arizona State keeping it to a one-score game. Xavier, what do you think? Is this a Wisconsin walk, or do you think ASU puts up a fight here? Man, everything points to Wisconsin walking in this game. I'll be perfectly honest with you. It, it, everything points to them running away with this ball game and it not even being close. The only thing that keeps this game, the only thing that concerns me about Wisconsin, it's concerned me all year, is Graham Mertz. Yeah. What version of Graham Mertz are we going to get? Because it doesn't really matter how many passes he throws. It just matters who he is throwing them to. If he's throwing them to the offense, he'll be fine. But there's a game. There's a game in particular. I think he threw eight passes and two of them were picks. Like the, it, it genuinely, he could be that bad to make it to where Arizona State wins this game. And I know Arizona State's a team that's run the ball very, very well. But let's not forget who's at their quarterback position, right? Jaden Daniels, for all intents and purposes, came into this year as a guy who you know, could really boost his draft stock. Now that didn't happen did for not. him. Yeah. Right. That didn't happen <laughs> for him. And he had a, has had a very, you know, subpar year, but the talent's still there. Right. And with and to what, you know, Nick was alluding to, it looks like it's going to have to be on display with him not having his two starting running backs for them to win this ball game. And, and so do we get a game from Jaden Daniels where he just says, you know what, I've had a terrible year. Might as well ball out now. And he just has a game where he, you know, he figures it out for the first time all season. And that and that talent level that we were so excited about after his freshman year, where he had, you know, one of the best freshman years in the country that year. You know, it, do we see that on display in this game against a Wisconsin defense that is, yeah, is really great up front. But I think because of how great they are up front, they're a little susceptible to giving up the deep ball. Matter of fact. That's the way Notre Dame was able to pull away in that ball game was due to deep throws at the end of that game. You know, you look at that ball game, and two things really stood out to you: Grammar throwing four picks and having to throw forty-one times, and Notre Dame only throwing for two hundred and some, ch- or excuse me, only running for thirty-nine yards, and they still beat them by twenty-eight points. So, like, you, you look at it that way, and you go, "Okay, cool." In this game, Arizona State's going to have to be opportunistic defensively. And make grammar and, and make grammar wrong, which hasn't been that hard this year, right? You just genuinely have to be on the man, and grammar typically gets is too afraid to throw the football in that direction. Uh, he's just completely shaken up in that pocket now. I, I don't think he's got a game this year without throwing a pick. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Ah, found one. Nebraska. He threw one touchdown, one pick. He threw the ball 18 times. That is it's just I just think 
that's the only thing that gets Arizona State in this ballgame is if Graham Mertz gives you a 2021 Graham Mertz-like performance where he throws the ball 15 times and two of them are interception and Arizona State wins this ballgame because they had to start their starting field position was like Wisconsin's 45-yard line. And that's the only way I see Arizona State winning this game. Otherwise, Wisconsin's better defensively. Their offense running the football is going to bludgeon them. And without and with all of the things that Arizona State is missing, that Nick went through, that list of things that Arizona State is missing offensively, defensively on the back end, even with the injuries up front, and Jaden Daniels being as poor as he has been this year, Wisconsin should walk in this game. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm rooting for ASU, of course, uh, my my one of my best friends, stepson uh, Anthony Cooper, is going to be playing D line for Arizona State in this game. He's been pretty solid all year, boosting, uh, you know, his rating and everything. But I mean, I just don't see how ASU comes away with this win. This Wisconsin defense is going to stymie uh, the Arizona State offense, mm-hmm. I think, and that that's the whole game to me. So we'll see. But uh, we move on here to the Gator Bowl. Which, um, look, it's getting played. So uh, that is a positive. Wake Forest is now playing Rutgers with Texas A&M. Uh, was this the A&M game? This is the one they bounced out of, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, with so many cancellations and switches now, I can't keep up. But uh, Aggies out of this one. Rutgers comes in. Uh, the spread because of this is 15 points in Wake Forest's favor. 62 is the over-under. And, Nick, I don't think 15 points is enough in this game. I think Wake Forest destroys Rutgers. They had less time to prep and everything. But uh, they're coming to play. So we'll see. That's why they play them. How do you see this game playing? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Uh, our projection couldn't quite get to 15 points. Uh, I think when this opened, the line was 12, if I remember correctly. And and so we were, you know, if our official projection had uh, occurred right then, we would have been on Wake Forest, but our projection is 13 and a half. And so obviously, you know, by the time we were able to uh, get everything together officially, uh, we are technically on Rutgers and we're actually on Rutgers in an all three agree, uh, in addition to Pitt, actually, uh, plus two and a half, of, which I mentioned I didn't feel great about. Rutgers is, is also uh, an all three agree there. And again, those <laughs> numbers have been, uh, if you're fading them this season, uh, very, very good. If you are using them as, as some sort of predictive uh, metric, uh, that has, has not been a smart thing to do this year. So perhaps that should be a sign that, that Wake Forest will be able to win this one pretty easily. And, and that makes sense. I mean, Wake Forest was a 10-win team. They were a very, very uh, a solid team, great passing offense, ranked third nationally in our offensive passing team performance numbers. They were top 20 overall offensively. Um, pretty, you know, a fairly uh, multifaceted, even though the, the passing offense was among one of the best in the country. They could run the football decently well, especially when uh, Christian Beal Smith was healthy. Um, there will be uh, one key player out for Wake Forest, Jacory Roberson, uh, maximum 100 rated player in our individual player ratings, uh, is off to the NFL, will be in, in one of those all-star games and has decided to not play in this game. That could mean an even bigger day for one of the, the uh, most productive receivers in college football this season, A.T. Perry just uh, has been a, a huge, huge performer stepping into the spot where, you know, Donovan Green was was expected to be kind of that, you know, one, two uh, to, to Ja'Cory Roberson. But A.T. Perry stepped into that role and, and has been 
uh, one of the best receivers in the ACC this year and, and you know, just been a, a major problem as a big target, big play uh, player. Uh, you know, he will be there. He and Sam Hartman um, will, you know, connect once again and, and wait for it actually has some some decent depth at receiver even without green and even without robertson you know taylor moran will have a little bit more of a role uh they've been able to to you know throw to the tight end at times so i I think wake forest will be in a a decent spot still uh throwing the football especially against the rutgers defense that you know past defense ranks 114th in our defensive team performance so uh that should be a matchup that greatly favors wake forest it's just will you know, the Rutgers offense, which has struggled a lot this season, ranks 121st in offensive team performance overall, 126th in passing offense. Will they, they be able to uh, move the football against a Wake Forest defense that has been, you know, has struggled at times? 99th in overall defensive team performance, 117th against the run. Will Isaiah Pacheco, who's going to be off to the NFL after this game, uh, will he be able to, to get loose and, and make some plays? Will Melton, who missed some significant time due to injury this season, you know, will he be back and fully healthy and help out Noah Vidral, the starting quarterback? You know, maybe that passing offense is is maybe a little underrated coming into this game potentially because they did have to play without Melton uh, for a, a significant you know portion of the season. I I just don't know if they're going to be you know quite able to do it. I, I think you know certainly kudos to Rutgers for being able to participate in this game. Um, you know, they were fortunate that, that it seemed like they were in a, a position where everybody was able to, to get back and get practicing uh, pretty quickly. The, the, uh, I think that the major advantage time-wise is negated a little bit because Wake Forest wasn't prepping for Rutgers. They were prepping for Texas A&M. Uh, but the fact that they were out there and, and actually practicing and, and still in a football mindset Probably, you know, a little bit of an advantage where Rutgers was just, uh, you know, not practicing, you know, not on the field for a few weeks, things like that, thought their season was over. Um, so I, I do think that if there's a chance that one team is rustier than the other, uh, Wake Forest, of course, has played a game more recently, played in the ACC championship game, but also, um, you know, has, has been in football mode through this entire time where Rutgers had a, a little bit of a, a right there. Plus, Wake Forest is just a, a better team. I mean, a 10-win team against a team that wasn't, didn't originally qualify for a bowl, it's understandable that that uh, this is the biggest point spread of, of uh, the bowl season so far. But like I mentioned, our projections couldn't quite get there in any of the three models. Uh, our final score prediction is, is you know, pretty close. 37-24, that's under the 62. And and quite honestly, I, I think I'd rather be on the over. Both defenses, as I mentioned, uh, you know, not great and, and not a great matchup for the Rutgers pass defense against that elite Wake Forest passing offense. I think the, the only way we stay under here is if it's like a, a you know, 42 to 10 uh, or, or something like that, where, where Wake Forest just really blows out Rutgers in the second half, just kind of, you know, eases off the gas, that sort of thing. So uh, we'll, 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 of course, see how it plays out. A big number in, in bowl season. I don't have, I don't hate that we're on Rutgers and getting more than two touchdowns, but I, I don't think it's it's the right side to be on uh, right now. I, I do wish uh, that, that we were on Wake Forest in this one. 
Xavier, big number here, but like Nick said, just very little time for Rutgers to prep for this game. And even if they were prepped, I mean, the, the talent gap is fairly large here. So how do you see this game playing out? I'm going to keep it short and sweet on this one. Uh, Wake Forest should win this game pretty handedly. Uh, that offense should just roll and roll and roll. Uh, I appreciate Rutgers taking this game. This actually, this was going to be one of my more favorite games of the bowl season, them against AM originally. Uh, but shout out to the fighting Greg Shianos. Uh, but, you know, hey, I, I just do not see there's any way possible that Rutgers stays into this game unless Sam Hartman has a very bad performance. And I just don't see it happening. He's going to want to make amends for the ATC championship game that he literally threw away by with the four interceptions. And I think this is a game that, you know, Wake Forest wins and rolls on. I don't know, to Nick's credit, I don't know if they're going to reach the over. I think this is a game that absolutely, as he was alluding to at the end, I think this is a game that Wake Forest jumps out early, like 35 to 7, and just goes, hey, you know, let's, have, let's, be, let's give them some respect. You know, let's be respectful. Let's not go crazy. You know, wins the game 45 to, you know, 45 to 10 and goes home with a bowl victory. Uh, I don't think this is one of those matchups where, you know, we get into the high 70s or anything like that. So I think Wake Forest covers, but I do not think that they that we reach the over uh, in this game of 62. So, yeah, I think if we do, it's just because it's, you know, uh, yeah. 56 to 10. So, you know, something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, let's go on to the next game. Another game that has been switched around. Uh, the Sun Bowl is being played between Washington State versus Central Michigan. Washington State, a seven-point favorite here, 57.5 points. Um, Washington State had their opponent cancel. Central Michigan had their opponent cancel. So this is the game we end up with. Interesting game, but five days to prep. So uh, very it's going to be a weird one to say the least, Nick. So how do you see it playing out? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty difficult one to project in part because Central Michigan is one of the more talented Mac teams. Our, our projections were pretty high on Central Michigan, thought they had uh, kind of an outside shot maybe at uh, representing the Mac West in, in the conference title game. And we've been pretty low on Washington State. And early in the season, that made a you know certain amount of sense or, or looked, looked okay early on. But you know, after the the coaching change, Washington State's really looked at times like a, a much much different uh, uh, program, and they played really quite well. They have uh, you know outplayed their talent numbers uh, so far this season. I mean, nothing nothing jumps off the page spectacular, but uh, they rank 63rd in overall team performance, 59th offensively, 78th defensively, and all of those have improved a bit. Uh, in the second half of the season when this team made a run to a winning record, a winning record in conference, which I, I certainly didn't expect uh, and, you know, made it to a, uh, made it to a bowl game here. And, and we would have had Washington state as a pretty, pretty big underdog to Miami. Uh, but obviously things change and, and now we do have them favored, but not quite as large as, as what the uh, odds makers do. For the logistics, those certainly line up in Washington State's favor. Uh, they have been planning on, you know, going to El Paso the whole time and and uh, and playing there. Uh, not not that it's much closer to home, but at least it's it's uh, on the the you know same side of the country somewhat. Uh, Central Michigan a little bit farther. Plus, they originally traveled to Tucson 
and then are uh, hanging out there and busing over to El Paso, uh, which is going to be going to be a little rough. Terrible road trip, by the way, (laughs) going from Tucson to El Paso. So, I mean, and taking the downgrade, like I would be super pumped to go to Tucson if I was in El Paso. But going from Tucson to El El Paso, also a downgrade. So not great. That's a five hour drive. Now that's in a car. So we're thinking maybe a (laughs) six and a half hour bus ride. And and it sucks. And at the end, you're in El Paso. It's dry. It's nothing but dirt road. You're going to see cacti on the way. I just did this drive because you have to go through Tucson to get uh, to El Paso, which is where I stayed on my way to Texas. So I mean, uh, I don't know how many kids have seen vultures before, so that'll be cool. You know, you'll be able to see those on the side of the road. But it's (laughs) going to be awful. Not a ton of vultures. I mean, you know, probably some coyotes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's cool. Yeah, but, but, it's, be- uh, it's better than driving through cornfields. So I'll say that. Sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the logistics certainly not in Central Michigan's favor there. Uh, but they have, you know, some really high quality players. I mean, two Central Michigan offensive linemen are headed to the Senior Bowl. I'm I'm also building a list of NFL draft declarations and who's in what All Star game. That's part of why this is all very much top of mind. Uh, but yeah, two two you know really even though they don't rate out particularly well the way we calculate things because both guys were uh, you know underrated recruits coming out of high school. One actually uh, Bernard Raymond uh, from Austria, I believe. Uh, you know didn't didn't play a whole lot of American football if, if uh, the story uh, if, if I'm remembering the story correctly, but is incredibly athletically gifted and, and could be a really high NFL draft pick. Khalil Pimpleton uh, won't be going to the senior bowl, but will be, I believe the East West shrine bowl. Um, but he's a 100 rated player transfer from Virginia. I believe has been just incredibly, incredibly productive since going back home to Michigan and playing for uh, the Chippewas. And then plus Lou Nichols, uh, one of the one of the best running backs statistically in college football has just had a huge, huge year. They've really leaned heavily on him all season because this was supposed to be a one-two combo. He and Kobe Lewis, uh, Kobe Lewis suffered a, a knee injury in August and, and missed the entire season. And Nichols has just been a, a complete workhorse and and so you know the raw numbers for central michigan aren't spectacular the advanced numbers aren't necessarily spectacular i mean they're right around 50 to 60 in all five of those uh important statistical categories that we look at uh the the best being 48th in yards per play the worst being 60th in yards per pass both against uh, fbs opponents only but you know top 50 ish offense but they do a pretty good job of you know if they can run the football with Lou Nichols they will if they need to get creative and get the ball to Pimpleton uh they will playing special teams I mean that that's really where Pimpleton's had a big uh impact throughout his career um you know he he can take it the distance anytime he gets the ball uh a kick return punt return so Central Michigan does have an opportunity to you know just get a, an unexpected big play uh, scoring on special teams uh that that might be what they need to to keep this game close because Washington State has a, a fairly significant talent advantage even though 
they will be a little bit shorthanded. Max Borgie won't be playing in this game. Deion McIntosh, the number two running back, won't be playing in this game. So we should get our first real extended look at Nikia Watson, the transfer from uh, Wisconsin. But, you know, this this Washington State offense, the strength really is throwing the football, even though, uh, you know, isn't quite as prolific as we would have thought coming into the year with the receiver combo of Travell Harris and Calvin Jackson quarterback, Jaden Dolores taking a big step forward. He was, I believe the, the PAC 12 freshman of the year uh, offensively this year. So he, he, you know, I had some reservations about him coming into the season. I thought he struggled as a true freshman, uh, but you know, especially in, in the second half of the year. And after that, uh, coaching change. Jane Dolores really started to, to round into uh, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in in the Pac-12. So he seems to be playing maybe his best football. Has an opportunity to play his best football. Should be a, a matchup that favors Washington State because Central Michigan has had uh, quite a few injuries in the secondary this season, and that passing uh, defense for Central Michigan. State statistically has been uh, the weakest part of that defense. They're at 92nd in passing team performance. So uh, on, on defense. So I, I don't love the projection here. I think we're a little too low on Washington state. I think we might be a touch high on central Michigan. And of course we can't account for, you know, a six hour bus drive across the desert uh, leading up to the game. But our, our projection is 31-29, pretty you know, evenly matched game. Uh, little little higher scoring than the total would be over the 57 and a half. Um, I, I think this is a game that Washington State probably should win by more than a touchdown. Uh, but again, bowl season, a lot of wacky things. When you're preparing for one opponent, have to stop, prepare for another, maybe negates a little bit of you know, some advantage there. Uh, so we'll see. It's a weird one to, to you know, project or, or predict. We think it'll be fairly close, but I, I think my opinion would be, uh, you know, I wish we were on Washington State to cover this one. Yeah, and this game, Xavier, to me, I feel like, like uh, Nick just mentioned, Michigan, uh, Central Michigan matches up well uh, against mm-hmm. Washington State. I think they do match up well. But with only five days to prep and the talent clearly being in Washington State's favor, it's hard to not pick them in this game. So how do you see it playing out? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to go Washington State here. Yes, they're missing some of the more important players, but I, I genuinely think that they are the better team here. It's going to be a really wacky game, and I'm honestly expecting a lot of offense here because just, just genuinely because typically with – preparation what suffers the most is your defense i mean typically in these times your defense is going to struggle a little bit more having to only have you know five days of prepping for a team that's not normal by any means uh but this washington state offense when it's clicking man it's been explosive this year um you know obviously their last two games <clears throat> against washington and arizona this quarter both 40 points in those ba- in those matchups uh you know even some of their losses against oregon earlier in the year put up 24 points. Uh, they barely lost to a BYU team, and we've seen how good the BYU team was all year. You know, uh, So you, you look at some of their games, and really they're, they, they're, often, they're, they're a very balanced team. Excuse me. They haven't really had any blowout losses outside of the USC game earlier this year. And when you look at that being the case, I like that. The other thing for me is I, I'm just kind of staying away from MAC teams right now. They've had a really bad, you know, uh, bowl season. The MAC so far in bowl games are – 
it's it's not a good record so far, if I'm not mistaken. You said that like you just broke up with them, by the way. You're like, I by mean, the way, I'm staying away from blondes because uh, you know, <laughs> uh, just been through the ringer there. So that's that's how you sounded with your Mac teams. So same way so, Mac teams right now, just they're too emotional. Yeah, no. Yeah, okay. yeah. You know, they they've had they've been pretty porous this far thus far when it's come to the, you know, they're two and five at this moment. I think in those seven games I've picked, I think I'm you know, picked the majority <laughs> of those games Mac teams. So I'm gonna stay away from the Mac. Uh, you know, I'm gonna go with Washington State here to win. Um, I, I think with the, like I said, with this game being so wacky, I think both teams can can put up a lot of points. So I'm gonna bet the over in this game. Um, so I think both teams are gonna have the opportunity to put up a lot of points. But if I'm gonna have to pick and choose uh, a winner, I'm gonna go with Washington State. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it should be a Washington State win easy here. Uh, let's get to the playoff. Obviously, uh, more to break down in these yes. two games, but this is how. Uh, they line up on the schedule here. So the uh, Cotton Bowl, Cincinnati, uh, number four versus number one, Alabama. Alabama, a 13-and-a-half-point favorite here. 57-and-a-half is the over. So we're in it now, Nick. The playoff, who do you like between Cincinnati and Alabama? Uh, well, I, you know, Alabama, I think, is is rightly favored. The They're the number one team in our power rankings. Uh, have been for uh, a little while now. I mean, obviously, Georgia spent a lot of the season at number one, but that impressive performance uh, for Alabama in, in the uh, SEC championship game, and then you know, just just based on the fact uh, that Alabama has one of the best players in college, I mean, the best, right? As as far as uh, if we're we're considering the Heisman Trophy winner, the best player in college football, Bryce Young, at quarterback. He's a maximum 100-rated player now, in part because of that, but also you know the emergence of Jamison Williams, who's become one of the best receivers in college football, uh, also a 100-rated player. The fact that the you know entire roster consistently has uh, been among the the highest recruited players and and you know number one recruiting classes uh on an almost annual basis for alabama it is no surprise that they are number one in our roster strength ratings they're number one in offensive roster strength they're number two in defensive roster strength and that's a, a pretty significant they would have an advantage over everybody just as far as pure talent goes and even though cincinnati is a a very talented team has a handful of future nfl players uh that's it's a pretty big edge there if we're looking at talent edge only only talent factors um alabama would be you know more than a three touchdown favorite in this game but cincinnati is played like a legitimate playoff team uh they rank fourth in our overall power rankings uh they actually do have a top 10 roster on both sides of the football and they've played like a top five team statistically speaking their team performance rating overall is number five they're number 16 on offense number seven on defense including the number two pass defense so if we're thinking of a unit you know obviously georgia who we had been talking about during the regular season as being maybe one of the best defenses ever uh if they weren't able to hold bryce young and jameson williams in check you know maybe it's not a a, a great uh, sign there for Cincinnati, but Kobe Bryant, Brian Cook, both of those guys headed to uh, the Senior Bowl. Ahmad Sauce Gardner is is an All American, maximum 100 rated player, uh, and a you know a, Bryant won the, the Thorpe Award, right? And then everybody, for the most part, seems to think that Gardner is is the better of the two players and one of the best corners, if not the best corner, 
in college football. So, you know, Cincinnati does have talent. They do have a defense, especially, that could, in theory, create some some problems. I mean, Maje Sanders, one of the best uh, edge rushers in college football. Uh, they've got two really, really productive uh, interior defensive linemen and Curtis Brooks and Marcus Brown. Uh, also, Juwan Briggs, who transferred from Virginia, you know, talented guy. Uh, and, and that unit just as a whole is, is uh, pretty deep, that defensive line. And you match up against an Alabama offensive line, which has not been as dominant as in years past. And in, you know, kind of the, the, if we're looking for a weakness here, Alabama's offensive line is maybe its weakest unit. They rank 33rd in offensive line performance this season. Nothing terrible by any stretch, but uh, not a, not a dominant unit. And then outside of Evan Neal, you know, who, who, could be a first round NFL uh, draft pick. Certainly, you know, he's a, a preseason number one freak on uh, Bruce Feldman's freaks list. But the rest of that unit is maybe uh, susceptible. I mean, you know, they're, they're playing uh, a retro freshman at center. Uh, they are playing, you know, they, they've had to shuffle a little bit that unit. Chris Owens has uh, moved to right tackle and he's had some, you know, uh, some bumpy spots in his uh, career. So it, it, it's going to be a matchup to watch. And it's it's one that, you know, uh, a lot of people's gut reaction is Alabama is just the far, far superior team. Uh, there are certainly plenty of people out there who say, oh, Cincinnati doesn't deserve to be in the playoff. I'm not necessarily one of those people because, like I said, they do rank fourth in our power rankings. They do rank fifth in overall team performance, which does take into account strength of schedule. Uh, but you know, also when you drill down to the matchups of, of where Cincinnati's strengths are, I can kind of talk myself into it a little bit because I think that defensive line will at least be able to, you know, hold serve with the Alabama offensive line. I, I think it's, it's not an overwhelming Alabama, uh, you know, has an, an overwhelming edge in its offensive line versus Cincinnati's defensive line. I also think Alabama's passing offense, as good as it is, and that Young and Williams combination has been, you know, the the best in college football, basically. Uh, Cincinnati matches up decently well. I mean, two All-American caliber corners, you know, a, a deep unit there, guys that, you know, safeties and, and nickelbacks that uh, have potential, you know, pro uh, careers. So I, I, I feel like Cincinnati kind of matches up okay, uh, at least on that side of the ball. I'm less sure about the Cincinnati offense against Alabama's defense, even though that's a you know kind of a, a not necessarily weakness versus weakness because that Alabama defense has, has been a top five unit. Uh, but that Cincinnati you know offense not quite as star studded, not quite as dominant. Uh, and Desmond Ritter has been a bit inconsistent at quarterback. Certainly when he's good, he's, he's very, very good. But uh, we've seen him struggle at times, especially against some of the more talented defenses. And this is the most talented defense you know, Cincinnati will, will have played, certainly. He's got talent to work with. Jerome Ford was a Cincinnati, or excuse me, was an Alabama uh, signee, transferred from Alabama, and has played you know, uh, up to his talent level uh, as Cincinnati's number one running back. The receivers that that Resmond will work with, Michael Young, Alec Pierce, both 
are headed to, to all-star games. Uh, Trey Tucker and Josh Wiley, the tight end Josh Wiley. Trey Tucker is a, a, an all-conference uh, return man, can make some explosive plays in the passing game as well. Wiley and Leonard Taylor, both pretty good tight ends there. Wiley being a, a, an all-conference guy in the past. And that Cincinnati offensive line is solid, ranks 15th in our O-line performance ratings. But Alabama, you know, again, just that I think, even though Cincinnati has been, been quite good and, and does have some good numbers offensively, does have some talented players offensively, I see a bigger edge for the Alabama defense. I see Will Anderson wreaking havoc coming off the edge. I see, you know, Henry Toto flying around making plays. I see, uh, you know, Fedarian Mathis and Justin uh, Iboigby and, and, you know, those guys kind of really playing, uh, holding the line on on the defensive line and, and getting pressure, getting, uh, uh, you know, penetration on that Cincinnati offensive line. I see uh, an Alabama secondary that will be without Josh Joe, but has, you know, several all SEC players, including Jalen Armour Davis, you know, Jordan Battle, Malachi Moore last year had a huge year. Uh, guys who, who are just, you know, five-star after five-star. I, I, I just feel like that Alabama defense is really going to be able to kind of dominate the day. And then if Jameson Williams can, uh, you know, break free on a, on a big pass play or two, like he was against that Georgia defense, Certainly not a stretch to think he could do that against Cincinnati if they're able to run the football now that you know Brian Robinson is is back and fully healthy. Yeah, I, I feel like Alabama, you know, could potentially run away with this game. Uh, I, I don't think that would shock anyone. All that being said, we don't have uh, this necessarily as a blowout. Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily expect Cincinnati to keep it a one score game. And I, I, I feel like we might be just a touch uh, high on Cincinnati, maybe a, a tiny bit low on Alabama, but we do have a final score prediction of 33, 24, just slightly under 57 and a half, but well within that 13 and a half. And, and I don't love that necessarily. Um, I, I could see, more often than not, Alabama winning this game by at least two touchdowns. But if those matchups, especially that Cincinnati defense, uh, is able to keep will you know keep Williams in check, keep Bryce Young in check uh, from from this game getting out of hand early, I guess I'm hopeful that that Cincinnati could keep it uh, to single digits. But I I do feel like this is a game that Alabama is probably going to win by 17 something in that range. So uh, maybe I would tack on, you know, one extra touchdown, maybe a defensive touchdown, uh, maybe, a you know, Will uh, Anderson sack fumble that gets returned for a touchdown, something like that. Push that score up to, uh, you know, 40, 24. That, that maybe seems uh, a little more right to me. Uh, but at least as far as our, our projections go, uh, we do see Cincinnati being able to, you know, hang around and, and maybe keep it to uh, single digits there at the end. Xavier, how do you see this playoff game going here, Cincinnati and Bama? Is this the, you know, Cincinnati ain't ready and Bama rolls them? Because, look, you know, Bama looks 
the like Nick mentioned, the hill isn't insurmountable for Cincinnati in this game against this Alabama team. I think if they played Bama last year or LSU the year before, they lose by 60, right? Like that's kind of my opinion. They can be in this game. I could also see him getting thrashed. So I don't know that there's a lot of in between. I think it's probably going to be one or the other. How do you see this game going? Yeah, this game very much reminds me of a, of another playoff game that Alabama was in. in the, I think it was in the inaugural playoff year. Uh, they played Washington. It was, it was them as the one seed. Washington was the four seed. That game ended 24-7. to seven. And from all intents and purposes, Washington was in that game for uh, for a good bit of that ball game, but, it, but Alabama ended up pulling away late in that ball game. The reason why I see it like that is because when I look at this, when I look at best against best, what does Bama do best against what does Cincinnati do best? Bama's best offensive weapon is Bryce Young and Jamison Williams. Now, remember, no John Mechie, ACL tearing the SEC championship game. How does that affect the rest of that, the rest of what, you know, of what Cincinnati wants to do now? Is Cincinnati now more comfortable with devoting two guys to Jamison Williams and, you know, trusting one of the best, if not the best secondary? I'm going to call it right now. They're the best secondary in college football. Numbers wise, it may be Georgia. I don't believe that. I think Georgia's secondary was aided aided by an amazing pass rush. For Cincinnati, I think it's the complete opposite. Their secondary makes their pass rush better. You know, Majai Sanders and those guys can rush for because that secondary is so good. All of those guys in that secondary are going to be day one or day two guys, period. You know, and and I would be surprised if three out of the four of them don't go in the day in the first day of the draft because that is how good this secondary is, man to man. Right. So I, there's very little weaknesses when you go from corner to safety to safety to corner when you look at that secondary. And so for me, when I look at it, I go, OK, what's the best secondary Alabama has genuinely played from a from a talent standpoint this year outside of the Georgia game? I look at Auburn. In that game, Bryce Young was really shaky. I just he just was. Roger McCreary, who's probably he was the best corner on that team, uh, Smoke Monday, those guys had him really confused in that ball game, and it allowed for Auburn to blitz and blitz and blitz against a front four, uh, against an offensive line that Nick alluded to has been shaky at times this year. I think Cincinnati comes out with a similar game plan. They're going to say to themselves, "We can't let Bryce sit in that pocket without having somebody in his face or without feeling some pressure, you know, uh, at his back," and we're going to hope that he. He forces passes into a secondary that has been so opportunistic. And not only that, but this Cincinnati secondary is not small either. Sauce Gardner is a tall DB. This is a guy who's 6'1", and some has been measured as 6'2", super long wingspan. You know, they've got tall corners. So that's also, a, a, a you know, indicative of what they can do. That It's not going to be a 50-50 ball that they feel like they can't win out at. That's something that I think is also something you've got to add into this game. So like Nick said, it's going to come down to whether or not Cincinnati can move the football. If Cincinnati and Desmond Ritter can figure out a way to move the football versus the Alabama defense, I give Cincinnati, you know, a heck of a chance. I'll give them a 40%, you know, 45% chance to win this ball game if they can move the ball against Bama because genuinely that all, that Alabama running game has been so porous at times this year. I don't think it matters if they can run the football on Saturday. I don't think they'll even try to, to be perfectly honest with you. I think they'll give – Brian Robinson, seven or eight attempts in those first two or three drives. And if it doesn't work, it'll be the Bryce Young show. You know, you look at the way that they beat Georgia, they didn't run the ball well. They didn't, right? And obviously that should be the case against the Georgia defense like that. But they haven't run the ball well really all year. You can even go back to the Florida game. 
they didn't run the football well in that one. Bryce Young was able to put enough plays together to win these ball games that he has. You know, and I'm also can Alabama, you know, can they afford? Are they going to give us another performance like they did against Auburn or against LSU, where they come out here and their offense is really lackadaisical? Their offensive line looks lost again. You know, they're getting immense pressure on Bryce Young, and now you're looking at off. And now you're you know you're really hoping that your defense gets an, more than enough stops to win you a ball game, where Alabama has to win this game like twenty, you know, twenty one to ten. In that case, I really like Cincinnati because the other thing that I think Cincinnati has, and we and you know Nick was talking about Will Anderson and company on that front four. I want to see what happens when they have to play a true mobile quarterback. They haven't played one really all year outside of the Florida game. And Emory Jones in that game actually really hurt Alabama's uh, defense in the second half of that ballgame. He was able to finally find uh, lanes to run in. And and as much as, you know, people want to say that, oh, Stetson Bennett's mobile, he's not as mobile as somebody like an Emory Jones or a Desmond Ritter. And so for a guy like Will Anderson, for for, uh, Mathis and company, they're going to have to make sure they have the right rushing lanes because if they don't, Desmond Ritter is going to take five. Desmond Ritter is going to take seven. They're, they're going to have to devote a spy, whether it's Christian Harris or Henry Toto, to stop him from rushing the football because if not, he's going to run the ball. You know, I, I'm looking at that game in particular that uh, the Emory Jones against Alabama, he ran 19 times for 77 yards and a touchdown. If Desmond Ritter gets those kind of numbers on, you know, against Alabama – that's really going to be really something that they can look forward to and hang their hat on if they feel like they if they feel comfortable with him doing that, right? And I think that's been the maturation of Desmond Ritter this year is he's not just a runner; he can actually sit back there and throw it as well. But I think in this game, his legs are going to be what uh, puts Alabama's defense really on their heels if they're going to be able to win this ball game. I still like Bama, but I'm going to pick Cincinnati to cover in this game. I think 13 and a half is what this coming in at. I think they cover, and I think this is a lot closer ball game than we really expected to, than a lot of the rest of the country expected to be. Yeah, I mean it. It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be fun one way or the other. But uh, the next game up after that will be the other playoff game, the Orange Bowl, Georgia versus Michigan, the uh, one that is expected to be a little tighter, but still is a Georgia favorite by seven and a half. 45 and a half is the over here. So um, this game to me, Nick, is the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other They're both good defense uh, uh, playing off a good running game too. Uh, to uh, I think to me, this is going to boil down to splash plays who gets the big play. Georgia has done a little more of that uh, getting to the quarterback more often than Michigan does. So uh, I'll, I'll take the bulldogs here, but I don't think it'll be by seven and a half. What say you in the orange ball? Uh, well, so this is an all three agree for us, which again, you know, maybe maybe you want to be on the other side of it, but we have we have Georgia winning uh, and covering in, in all three projection models. Our uh, final score prediction, little higher scoring than uh, you know what the what the market would suggest right now. So I don't necessarily love that we're on the over forty five and a half, but uh, we see Georgia winning by double digits, thirty one to twenty. And I, I don't necessarily feel great about that, but you know, George does have a, a significant talent edge. Everything I said about Alabama, you can basically, you know, slot Georgia right behind number two in roster strength overall, number four offensively, and actually the number one defensive roster strength uh, is is Georgia. And you know, talk about team performance all year, even even without, or excuse me, even taking into account. Uh, that they were, you know, 
outplayed, outmatched, outclassed in the SEC championship game. Georgia's performance throughout the entire season, they do rank number one in offensive, or excuse me, overall team performance. They do rank number one in defensive team performance, and they're number three uh, offensively. So we can't just, you know, I, I know that coming into the game, it, it seemed like the the narrative was, okay, yeah, this, this is Georgia's year. You know, they're obviously uh, the best team in college football, one of the best defenses ever. They're, they're going to beat Alabama, no problem. And then when the game played out the way it did, now it seems like everything is completely flipped as far as the narrative goes. And, and oh, man, you know, this Georgia team is in you know such trouble. But, yeah, maybe they'll beat Michigan, but uh, don't feel confident about it at all. And if they play Alabama, Alabama should be a huge favorite and, and all this, you know, stuff. And, and in some ways, yeah, Alabama definitely – exposed Georgia a little bit and and you do have to you know some of the some of the maybe more quiet voices coming into the game that were uh into the SEC championship game that were kind of saying well you know but Georgia didn't necessarily play the strongest schedule like can we really believe all these uh statistical measures because has Georgia really been tested this season in some ways, you know, the, the way the SEC championship game played out, that that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, but in that same, you know, with that thought in mind, we can't throw out, or at least I, I don't want us to throw out how dominant Georgia was in the regular season because they they were. I mean, they they beat the teams on you know Georgia after the the game against Clemson which was obviously a, an ugly game and that Clemson team did not uh you know w- was not as strong as we expected in the preseason they had a 75% post game win expectancy against Clemson the rest of the regular season they played one game in which their post game win expectancy was not 100% according to collegefootballdata.com that was 97% against Tennessee. So they were, you know, they, they didn't just beat the teams on their schedule. I mean, they, they, you know, was, was uh, never in doubt the, the, the outcome. And so they got a wake up call against Alabama. How are they going to react to that? Is it, Oh, we're not as good as we thought we were. And maybe we're not as good as Michigan or is it, you know, Hey, you know, it wasn't our day, but we're, we're still the same team that we were for, 12 weeks during the regular season when we were the best team in college football. I struggle with it a little bit. Our projections think, yeah, that, that this Georgia team is the number two team in college football and a very, very close number two, right? Basically on par with Alabama. My, my head and, and (laughs) being as you know, uh, knowing uh, my own history with, with Georgia football and watching and and being close uh, to the program it starts to think, okay, well, maybe you know, maybe, maybe it is Georgia was was a little bit uh, overrated coming in. So I, I struggle with that a little bit. Uh, but then, you know, turning to Michigan, if we're looking for reasons why Georgia is going to win this game fairly easily, I think they do match up pretty well. Yeah, Michigan can can definitely run the football. Hassan Haskins has been a real pleasant surprise. Blake Corum went fully healthy, and it seems like he's back to, to full strength, uh, is an incredibly explosive running back as well. And we've seen some really good things from the highly rated true freshman Donovan Edwards at running back. 
The offensive line has been solid. Number five in O-line performance rating uh, this season. Ryan Haynes has been all Big Ten uh, left tackle. Andrew Stuber's off, you know, going to be a, a, a NFL draft pick at right tackle. The guys in the middle have been solid as well. You know, but that Georgia defense, the strength is stopping the run. Even though they rank one, number one in passing offensive team performance and number three against the run, I, I think, you know, when they're at their best, uh, it, it's with that front four, front seven, uh, excuse me, front three, front seven is just controlling the line of scrimmage. And I feel, I feel decent about Georgia's ability to do that. What Alabama was able to do was get big plays through the passing game. And and that Georgia secondary is solid, but that Michigan offense, I don't necessarily see, you know, a a Jamison Williams who's going to break off a big play, you know, 25, 35 yards at a time. Uh, Yeah. I mean, Cornelius Johnson, is is talented. AJ Hennings had some big plays on special teams. They do have, you know, solid tight end play. Uh, Eric All, Andrew Anthony had a big game earlier this year and kind of had a, a national coming out moment. But Caden McNamara at quarterback, you know, is not Bryce Young. He's he's been solid. He's been good, better than I thought, quite honestly. But I I, I don't know that he's actually going to be able to win the game if Georgia's able to, to neutralize the line of scrimmage. I don't know if he's going to be able to beat Georgia through the air. And I'm not quite sure, even though he does have some some playmakers who have made plays, I, I don't necessarily love Michigan's matchups. I don't know that they're necessarily going to be able to you know win the style of, of game that Alabama was able to, to win, if that makes sense. So I, I do think this matchup plays fairly well in into the Georgia defense's hands. The Georgia offense, you know, it, it is in a lot of ways, I mean, the Spider-Man meme, right? I mean, questions at quarterback. Stetson Bennett, kind of like Cade McNamara. Yeah, he's good. Might be a little bit limited. We've heard some conflicting things on JT Daniels. I hear some that, that he will see uh, more, you know, playing time. Uh, also here, you know, yeah, no, Stetson Bennett is is the starter, and and you know we're we're probably not going to see JT Daniels. Don't know necessarily. George Pickens seems like he is back to full health on the field, but I know he missed some practice time. He and Daniels reportedly were uh, out for a little while in COVID protocols. You know, if, if those two players were at their full strength and, and able to start and play, probably would give Georgia's offense a little bit of a boost, at least you know attacking downfield uh but michigan is has been solid defensively top 10 pass defense in our team performance ratings they rank 11th defensively overall uh pretty good stopping the run they're 13th there and then of course you know the, the heisman runner-up aiden hutchinson is a, an absolute terror off the edge but so is david abojo ajobo excuse me uh, who had just as productive a season one of the most productive seasons uh, of anybody put up 26 production points so that's looking at all sorts of you know tackles for loss and and sacks but also uh you know pff grades pressures all all that good stuff ajobo and hutchinson have been easily the best uh you know pair of of edge rushers in college football this season and michigan's you know solid throughout uh they've got a really highly rated linebacker in josh ross they had to play a, a true freshman, Junior Colson, 
a lot, but he's a, a you know superstar signee and come in and, and uh, held that position down quite well. Their safeties, very, very solid safety combo, Brad Hawkins, Daxon Hill. Uh, uh, although it, it sounds like maybe there's some rumors that Hill might be missing. I, I don't know. Uh, but regardless, yes, these teams do seem very, very evenly matched. It's just whether or not Georgia is as good as they looked the first 12 weeks of the regular season, or if, you know, we, we actually did expose some areas in which they were a little overrated coming in, because I think Michigan, you know, Michigan certainly earned their, their spot. They are number five in our power rankings. That is, that has been a long, long climb because they were in the forties in the preseason, but they have just, consistently performed at a really, really high level. They're ranked number three in overall team performance. And they're they're a solid team. We saw, you know, they basically, uh, you know, did to Ohio State what Alabama did to Georgia. I had talked myself into Ohio State being Georgia's top competition uh, in the playoff and didn't think that would be a good matchup for Georgia. And Michigan just completely controlled that game. So, you know, Michigan dominated Iowa uh, in the Big Ten championship game and, and is playing its best football right now. And that makes me a little bit nervous because Georgia's just coming off a game where, you know, confidence might have taken a hit a bit. So I, I personally, I struggle with this one because I, I think it will be a closer scoring game. I think I lean to uh, the fact that maybe or, or, or lean to the opinion that maybe we were a little too high on Georgia and and that Alabama game did actually unearth some real potential questions and Michigan is is playing at the level or maybe even a little better even than our numbers are able to capture. So I I think this will be a one score game. I do think that Georgia is rightly favored, but it feels more like a field goal game than a uh, you know, touchdown or, or 10 point game. So I, I wish we were on Georgia to cover, uh, but I do think, or excuse me, I wish we were on Michigan to cover, even though I do think Georgia probably, you know, should win, at least should be favored. But I, I do think this has the the potential to be a, a great, great matchup, hopefully a, a classic uh, game, you know, maybe back and forth, big moment. This, this seems certainly like the the better of the two matchups uh, in the playoff and, and hopefully will be paid off with a, a great game in this one. Xavier, I mean, this one, like Nick said, very, very evenly matched. So who do you like in it? I really like Georgia. And it's not just me being a homer. I, I And I'll tell you why. When we look at that Alabama game and we really deep dive into it, what Alabama was doing, I don't think Michigan can replicate. Alabama was genuinely running two-man routes and blocking with six and seven. There were so many plays. Matter of fact, on all the touchdown throws that Bryce Young had in that game, there were six or seven people blocking. They mean they were keeping in the tight end, and they were chipping with a running back as he would leave. So with, with that being the case, it's really hard to see, okay, yes, that defense got bludgeoned a little bit, right, especially that secondary, right? And there were some very embarrassing clips that came from that game, especially, you know, one Jordan Davis being absolutely manhandled in that in that pocket when he, when he was, you know, pretty fatigued. I don't think Michigan can replicate that kind of offensive firepower. I'm not going to expect for, you know, McNamara to go back there and throw 
35 times in this ball game, you know, averaging eight yards a throw to beat that Georgia secondary. Yes, Georgia's defense got exposed, but their front seven, for all intents and purposes, just got out blocked. I mean, you're blocking six and seven against four. You should win those matchups. The secondary, and it got exposed. Absolutely. You know, Darion Kendrick, Lewis Seen, Keely Ringo and company, they got exposed in that ball game. But that's not what Michigan does well. That's not what Michigan hangs its hat on. Michigan's not going to sit back there and trust McNamara to throw the football that many times. You know, Nick, you brought up the Ohio State game. In that ball game in particular, McNamara threw it 19 times. That's it. And he didn't even throw a touchdown. He threw a pick instead in the red zone. He threw for uh, 13 of 19, 159 yards, one touchdown. I mean, one interception, excuse me. That tells you right there that even in that ball game, which was probably their most, you know, their biggest win of the year and the, and the win that people are going to hang their hat on, it was their running game that really was that dominant. Hassan Haskins obviously ran for five touchdowns in that game. They ran for over 250 yards in that ball game. But if you're looking at it in that way, I don't think that that's re- going to be able to be replicated against this Georgia's, Georgia defense. It's going to be extremely hard to run the football. For, what all, for all of what Alabama did in that game against Georgia, I still don't think they ran for 100 yards. Like it, it's so for me, I just don't see where Michigan offensively is able to put everything together. I'm, I'm right. They they ran for for 95 yards, and that's between Brian uh, Brian Robinson and Bryce Young, uh, who's able to obviously get out of the pocket a couple of times. So it's really going to be whether or not. Go ahead. Uh, I I mean I, I was just going to say yeah I mean like you said I I think this is all. I think it's going to be like one big play in this game, right? And, you know, I'm not going to – look, you and I have had a checkered past with Harbaugh, right? We don't yeah. like what he's yeah. done. <laughs> Our uh, My buddy John Lobb uh, has uh, talked about how Michigan has run the Neanderthal offense for years. They're trying stuff this year, and, mm-hmm. and they're, they're trying different personnel and stuff like that, but I don't rely on that team to make a big play. Uh, no, I don't. I, I think they're going to have to be all. very, very methodical in the way that they're going to play. And that, for me, is is a cause for concern when you look at them against Georgia. Georgia, for all intents and purposes, has played teams like Michigan. Arkansas, very Michigan-like in the, fa- in the fact that they want to be physical up front. They want to run the football. They've got a quarterback who's semi-athletic, who you can't necessarily just expect to sit in the pocket, and who may, you know, between him and J.J. McCarthy and K. McNamara and J.J. McCarthy will be are comfortable running, you know, running. So I really just don't see where Michigan's offense is able to put up enough points in this ball game. When I look on the other end, yes, you know, Michigan's defense is really, really good. But my biggest question is how tested is Michigan's linebacking court? That's actually the, and I, I don't think a lot of people bring up the linebacking court in specifics when you know you talk about a defense. But something I watched when I was watching the Ohio State-Michigan tape, something Ohio uh, Michigan had a very hard time doing was covering backs out of the backfield. I know for a fact James Cook, Kenny McIntosh, and those guys and Todd Munkin are licking their chops to see the fact that they could not cover Travion Henderson out of the backfield. That is a win. And if any team in the playoff right now likes to throw to their running backs, it's Georgia. The other thing is, who on, on Michigan's defense is going to cover Brock Bowers? I, I We don't know. Brock Bowers has been the best, if not one of the best tight ends in college football this year. Has been a matchup nightmare. Even was a matchup nightmare for Alabama in the SEC championship game. And it's going to be a weird, I think, for you know uh, Michigan to line up against what, uh, what Georgia's going to bring in a lot of single back and still throw out of that. 
and throw to guys like Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers and, and deep routes to George Pickens. That, for me, is going to be a little bit of a wrinkle that I don't think Michigan has seen this year. And the only other time that I think Michigan maybe has seen it is against Michigan State. And we saw what Michigan State was able to do on that second half late in that game when they were down, when they needed to throw the football. They, they It was open. Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed in that ball game, when they needed to make big throws against that Michigan secondary, could do so. And so I'm I'm just a little bit concerned that Michigan thus far has leaned a little too heavily on Aiden Hutchinson, Josh Ajabo in that front four, just like Georgia did all year. And in this ball game in particular, they're not going to be able to get home enough to make enough plays to win this ball game. Or Georgia just says, heck, we'll run it away from y'all all game, and that's how we'll win. Because something that I think Georgia learned in the Alabama game is that, and they tried it, stupidly tried it, they tried to block Will Anderson with everybody else. They tried to chip him with tight ends. They tried to have him go one. They tried to let him run free so that he was running upfield and going one-on-one with uh, running backs. I genuinely think you'll see Georgia double-team Aiden Hutchinson um, on some plays and run the opposite direction and just continue to run the opposite way and force everybody else on that defense to be an All-American not run at the two bona fide All-Americans. So I, I think that that's where my concern is with Michigan, is what do they do in this ballgame when that offense is not putting up the points? Because when you look at that Ohio State game, yes, they beat Ohio State. They still gave up you know, almost 30 points in that ballgame defensively, and they had to put up 42 points in that game to win. I'm not so sure they can do that against this Georgia defense. And in the style in which they did it, in the style in which they want to do it. And I think that George, that Michigan defense, for as good as it's been all year, still is susceptible to giving up the big plays in what you're alluding to, Scott, against an offense in Georgia who will take the deep shot. They like George Pickens. They like Brock Bowers. They like Jermaine Burton one-on-one in coverage. They like Kiaris Jackson against your linebacker in the slot. They're going to want to take those shots. And they like James Cook against your best linebacker. And I just think Georgia just has a little bit more offensive talent in this game that will eventually show its prove itself to be too much for that Michigan defense to do to handle for an entire ball game. If that offense, and especially if that running game is not working. Yeah. I mean, it, it's going to be, this is the game to watch this week, right? It is this game uh, because we, we think Bama is going to win probably going away at the end, but this one could come down to one or two big plays. So this is obviously uh, one of the big ones uh, to watch to end out the, the rest of the week here. Let's go to the Outback Bowl, uh, Penn State versus Arkansas. Nick, uh, Penn State is now a one point favorite. Forty seven and a half is the over lots of opt outs in this game as well. So are you on the Razorbacks or the Nittany Lions? So we are on Penn State to, to win this game. Uh, all three models lined up and I, I don't feel good about it uh penn state has had quite quite a lot of of opt-outs um when we did our official projection arkansas was a one-point favorite so it it was a an all three agree and a uh wrong team favorite and and historically the last three years or so that's been a really really good spot for us this year it certainly has not and and i'm not uh, I, I just don't think our numbers are able to quite catch up with the amount of pieces that Penn State will be playing without. I mean, Jahan Dotson, the big offensive playmaker, being you know the the 
probably most important key, especially for an offense that ranked 94th in offensive team performance, uh, just 63rd passing offense, 127th rushing, and they're going to be without their best player on, on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, Penn State has been a solid at times, really, really good unit, uh, you know, top 10 in yards per play allowed, points per drive, yards per pass attempt, and EPA per play. Uh, and, you know, team performance-wise, top 15-level defense overall, top 10 against the pass, and, and then 22nd in rushing defensive team performance. But they are going to be without at least four starters, uh, two on the defensive line, one starting linebacker, uh, All-American safety Jaquan Brisker, uh, and then a couple of other guys are already, you know, stated that they will be off to the NFL and and there's a chance you know that that even if it wasn't something or maybe I missed an announcement or, or what have you you know they could be even more shorthanded so I, I just don't I think Arkansas should be favored yeah they've got uh, they will be without Traylon Burks their best offensive player but KJ Jefferson has been uh, I think the more dependable quarterback of he and, and Sean Clifford. Clifford has had some moments, but he's also been banged up a little bit and, and been quite inconsistent. Jefferson has played through injury uh, as well, but he's just been, I don't know, I, I feel like I can can trust him a little bit more uh, in this offense. Of course, Arkansas has been able to run the football uh, decently well. They rank 27th in offensive uh, rushing team performance. They are four deep at the running back position. The offensive line has been, uh, you know, not great, but a little bit better, grades out a little bit better than Penn State's this year. And Penn State also will be without its starting left tackle, Rasheed Walker, because of injury. So not just an opt-out there, but they'll be, they'll be uh, without arguably their best offensive lineman and a unit that ranked 90th in O-line performance. Arkansas is, is, as far as I know, going to be fully intact with its top 60 unit. And then, you know, the defensive line for Arkansas has been a strength. They will be without Trey Williams, uh, who had a legal issue, uh, and then he, he will be off to the NFL. But, you know, John Ridgway transfer, Markel Utzi transfer, uh, those two guys, you know, those three really uh, have transformed this defensive line from what was one of the worst in the country last year to a, you know, top 30 type unit. So Arkansas, I, I think, matches up pretty well, and they will be – you know, they will have more of their more important pieces. So I, I disagree actually with our projection here. Uh, we do have Penn state uh, expected to win 29, 27. I think that's too, uh, too high scoring for uh, the Penn state offense. At least uh, the fact that the Penn state defense will be quite shorthanded, you know, maybe, maybe it actually does take on a, a little bit of a different feel and is more of a, a you know, back and forth uh, offensive type game potentially. But I think even that favors Arkansas. So I, I wish we were on Arkansas here to win and cover, but all three models line up and, and we actually are on Penn State uh, favored to win by two as well. Xavier, what, what do you think of this game? Is it going to be uh, Penn State or do you like the Razorbacks? I, I do like the Razorbacks. I think that this is a game that, for them, is going to mean a little bit more. I'll be honest with you. This has been probably their best season in 
my lifetime was since Darren McFadden. So I, I think that this is an opportunity for them on the national scale to make themselves look, you know, to, to culminate what has been a really good season. And the season most people didn't expect to happen uh, this year. Heck, I know I was one of the teams that the people that thought Arkansas would take a step back after losing Felipe Frank going into this year. Um, I think Arkansas down the stretch of this year also was able to ride the wave a little bit. You know, they, after the Georgia loss this year, they really kind of, you know, sunk, you know, they sunk down a little bit. After the Georgia loss, losing to Georgia and then losing to Mississippi, then losing to Auburn, you know, but they were able to, to right the ship and they were able to win, you know, four out of the last five and giving a, an impressive performance against Alabama um, <clears throat> where they almost won that ball game, right? You know, they, that was a game that they only lost by seven points where KJ Jefferson, I think, for all intents and purposes, outside of maybe the Mississippi game, had his best game of the year, you know, uh, against the Alabama defense, you know, going three, you know, having 326 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, 22 of 30. Really decent performance from him, a uh, really good performance from him, excuse me, in that ball game. So I think they're playing at, you know, they're playing at the pace and kind of at, you know, at the right time, like Nick was alluding to uh, with Michigan just a second ago. I think Arkansas is peaking a little bit right now, right? I think Arkansas is getting back to what they were, what they're good at. And, and after, you know, uh, a, a slight rough patch there in the middle, I think they're getting back to what they do best. On the Penn State side, my biggest issue with them is they just have not been consistent enough for me to pick them in this ballgame. You know, they they had, you know, they start off the year really well. Obviously, they start off the year five and oh, you know, then they lose to Iowa, Illinois, Ohio State. You know, they have their rough patch. They beat Maryland, but then they lose two of their last three games and losing to Michigan and Michigan State. You know, and so for me, Penn State just has not been that you know, has not been able to ride the ship the way I thought that they would be uh, this year, especially with a senior leading quarterback like Sean Clifford there. You know, he just hasn't been able – they haven't been able to ride the ship the way I thought they would. You know, that Michigan State game for me I was a, was an opportunity for them to win a game over a ranked opponent that I thought was reeling at the time. I know Nick in that week uh, specifically picked Penn State to beat Michigan State that week, um, and they just weren't able to come through and win that ball game. So that's a little bit concerning as well. And, and I just like Arkansas. I think they'll be the more physical team. Like I said, they, they're playing for more. Uh, this will be the first time Arkansas has a chance at a nine-win season, and I have no idea how long. So I think that they have a real opportunity. They're, they're going to play with a little bit more, you know, intensity to get that nine wins, to be able to, you know, have that, you know, have their first bowl victory uh, since the Liberty Bowl in 2015. It'll be their first nine-win season since 2011, and Bobby Petrino was the coach. So they, I, they've got a hell of a lot to play for. So I like Arkansas in this matchup. Uh, the next game up here is uh, Oklahoma State versus Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Notre Dame, a one-and-a-half point favorite, 45-and-a-half is the over here. How do you see this one going, Nick? This is the matchup of the two most evenly uh, matched teams that, that we've got all bowl season, at least as, our, as far as our projections go. Uh, did a, a little bit of an update after we posted this to – uh, Patreon, uh, after we, we posted our official projections, it didn't move it much, but we had uh, Notre Dame as l less than a one-point favorite uh, in this game, but got word uh, earlier this morning that Oklahoma running back Jalen Warren, who missed basically the uh, a, a good chunk of the, the last couple of games, uh, is back to 100%, will be able to, to play uh, at full speed in this game, so removed the sort of co-starter status between he and Dominic Richardson in this game, and that made this, uh, in our projections, now Notre Dame favored by 0 .04 points. Uh, Notre Dame will be dealing without uh, Kyron Williams at running back. They've played without All-American safety 
uh, Kyle Hamilton for a, a good portion of the back half of the season. Uh, and he's already, like Williams, decided that he's off to the NFL draft. Uh, so Notre Dame a little more shorthanded, at least than uh, we expect for Oklahoma State. I haven't heard about any opt-outs. Uh, the only uh, starter that that uh, is expected to miss the game is uh, starting center Danny uh, Gavleski is still going to be out in this game. He's been uh, on the shelf since November 20th uh, and isn't expected to, to come back, but really, really evenly matched game. And Oklahoma State, you, you wonder with a little bit of the stuff that we can't quantify, will they be down because they came so close to a potential playoff spot uh you know will will that motivate them or will that you know make it so that that uh uh they maybe don't necessarily show up for this game can't really tell notre dame dealing with a, a coaching change on the one hand sometimes that has a negative effect for notre dame my gut tells me it might actually have a positive effect uh you know playing under the uh was the interim and and now will be the the uh, uh, full time head coach in Marcus Freeman. You know that might actually give them a little bit of a motivational boost uh, on, on the Notre Dame side. Who I failed to mention will be out uh, without a starting offensive lineman as well and right tackle Josh Lug. Uh, but yeah, I mean you know I, I not a huge edge in any of these. Um, the talent model favors Notre Dame pretty heavily. But the stats model, uh, you know, a little bit closer there. But we've we've had a pretty good read on actually both of these teams all season. Um, but I feel like Oklahoma State maybe a little bit better than most. And, and we've been kind of uh, – we were early to Oklahoma State being a, a top 20 team and maybe even a, a top 10 team. So hopefully we, we've got a pretty good read here and, and think that this will be a basically dead heat our final score prediction is Notre Dame to win, but 27-26. And again, you know, by by just the, the smallest, smallest of margins. So that could go a field goal either way. Maybe we get lucky or unlucky on how that falls. But this should be, uh, you know, on paper, a, a incredibly close, evenly matched game. And hopefully we'll pay off with, with one of the better games of the bowl season. Xavier, how do you see it going here? Yeah, I mean, this game for me is going to come down to which quarterback doesn't, you know, is able to lift his team. You know, I, I've been expecting a lot from Spencer Sanders this year and more so than I think, you know, he hasn't given me a game really where he, in my opinion, elevated Oklahoma State to the win. Right. I, when you look at the games that they've won, the big games in anyways, you know, they beat Oklahoma, but, you know, that game all shifted due to a muffed punt, you know? And for me, I, I think that when you look at his performances this year, he hasn't really hit that peak, at least as a passer this year. And I think if they're going to win this game in particular, he's going to have to do more in the passing game. You know, that was something that he really struggled in the Baylor matchup, right? He threw 46 times in that game, 257, four interceptions. Like, that if you just take away two of those, Oklahoma State's probably in the playoff or at least had a better discussion to be in the playoff, right? Like the, the, I'm expecting Spencer Sanders to play to play much better, right? The other thing for me is with Oklahoma State is 
is this a letdown game? Do they do they think to themselves, we could have been in the playoffs? We should have been in the playoffs. You know, how much is that lingering on their players' minds as of right now? And how much of that will actually, you know, come in and have an effect in this ballgame where Notre Dame on the flip side feels like we did everything we could, we just didn't get in. Like simple as that. We just didn't get in. You know, our, our schedule just wasn't good enough. The one big game we had this year against Cincinnati, we lost. So we lost our chance to get into the playoffs. Okay. Purely, you know, pretty understandable explanation from Oklahoma State side. We had a chance. We were literally six inches away from getting into the playoff or having at least a discussion to do so. Um, so I, I want to see how Oklahoma State comes to play in this game. Do they take it as a big matchup against you know, a, a Notre Dame or do they allow, you know, that uh, that Big 12 championship game to linger over? I think Notre Dame wins this game. I think Notre Dame is a more balanced unit. I think their defense has been really good at, at spots this year, uh, pretty much all year, for, to be honest with you. You know, even in the game that they lost to Cincinnati, they only gave up 24 points in that ball game. Uh, their defense has been really stout at times. You know, the only other games that you could really point to that they've been a little shaky, UNC, you know, the first two games of the year against Florida State and Toledo. Uh, but ever since, you know, those kind of shaky games, they've been just really good. I mean, shutting out Georgia Tech beating the brakes off of USC and, and Navy, you know, holding Virginia to only three points, you know. So I, I really like Notre Dame. Yes, they're going to miss Kyle Hamilton, but I think they'll be fine without him um, on the back uh, in the back end. And I think offensively, Jack Cohn has played in these big games. He's played in, in, in you know, and he's won a lot of games in his career. I think he's going to want to go out with a, with a, in style, winning a pretty big goal, goal game for uh, Notre Dame. And, and I think Notre Dame pulls this one out. I just do not trust Spencer Sanders enough in this matchup against a very opportunistic Notre Dame defense to win this ballgame. Uh, the next game up here is going to be the Citrus Bowl, which is Iowa versus Kentucky. Kentucky's a three-point favorite. 44 is the over-under. Uh, you know, big disappointment for Iowa being ranked so high to be uh, ending up in the Citrus Bowl here. But um, I don't know. Kentucky's been playing pretty hard. I think they're one of the more underrated teams in the country here, Nick. So I've got Kentucky fairly easily in this game by a decent amount more than three. So how do you see this game going? Our numbers kind of line up with, with that. Yeah, I mean, we see a pretty big edge in favor of Kentucky. And it's, it's really kind of weird because Iowa, you know, 10-win team. Big Ten West champs uh, were as high as number two in the national rankings uh, this season. And, and, you know, they were certainly fortunate. The defense was absolutely lights out for the first uh, you know month or more of the season. And then some luck maybe started to even out a little bit. They weren't quite. Uh, you know, able to, to turn over opponents as much in the second half of the season, set up the offense for easy scores in the second half of the season. And the fact that Iowa's just really, really struggled offensively was hidden early on. And, and we've kind of seen it. Uh, you know, it, it's been very, very easy to see, I should say, uh, in, in the second half of the year where, I mean, these numbers are just just bad. I mean, Iowa's one of the worst offenses in the country, they rank 120th in offensive team performance overall. They rank 122nd in yards per play against FCS opponents, 102nd in points per drive, 110th in yards per pass attempt, 124th in success rate, and 125th in EPA per play. The offensive line, and this is with Tyler Linderbaum, who's an All-American center, considered you know maybe the, the best center uh, available in the upcoming NFL draft, their offensive line performance rating is 118th. 
They'll also be playing without their best offensive player or offensive skill position player, I should say, in Tyler Goodson, who's opted out entering the NFL draft early. So, you know, Iowa against any Big Ten opponent, basically, has really, really struggled to move the football. You go up against a Kentucky defense that's pretty good. I mean, you know, fringe top 25, they're 27th in defensive team performance overall. They're 16th against the run. Uh, so you wouldn't expect Iowa to be able to run the ball against Kentucky any better than it has uh, against anyone else. The, uh, you know, only vulnerability in the, the Kentucky defense really uh, is the pass defense. They rank 56th, which you wouldn't necessarily expect, you know, Spencer Petrus or Alex Padilla because both quarterbacks have played in recent weeks. You know, I, I don't necessarily expect either of them to be, you know, pose a, a major issue to the Kentucky defense. Uh, it's just whether or not some of the talented Kentucky players, including, uh, you know, three at least have, have made their uh, declarations known that they'll be moving on to the NFL. I haven't heard of an opt out for Yusuf Corker or Josh Pacall or, or uh, McQuan McCall, excuse me, Josh, Josh Paschal or McQuan McCall. Uh, you know what I'm saying. Uh, but, you know, we we certainly could see a situation where maybe one of those guys or, or somebody else is, is unable to play. But as things uh, look right now, I would expect Kentucky defensively to be in a, a really, really good situation against the Iowa offense. It is definitely strength versus strength, though, where the – uh, you know, Kentucky offense has shown a lot of promise. They feasted on some weaker opponents. So maybe it's a little bit inflated there, but they're top 15 in rushing offensive team performance, 43rd in passing offensive team performance. Wondell Robinson's had a big, big year. Um, he will be without uh, his, uh, you know, top uh, the, the number two receiver in Josh Ali. So that might make it a little more difficult for Kentucky to get him open against what has been a solid Iowa defense, including, you know, one of the best uh, corners in the country in Riley Moss, three really, you know, high quality safeties in Dane Belton, Jack Corner, Kevon Merriweather. Will Matt Hankins be able to get back for this game? It, it doesn't necessarily look like it. Um, so we'll see. I mean, maybe, maybe Kentucky can uh, run the football with, Christopher Rodriguez, he's had a little bit of a fumbling issue so far this year, and we know that Iowa defense has, you know, does a good job of, of making uh, opponents make mistakes. So Kentucky will have to take care of the football, of course, but I do believe that Will Levis gives them an advantage at the quarterback position. He can run a little bit as well. Cavassier uh, Smoke, pretty solid one-two combo, he and Chris Rodriguez. And then Wondell Robinson may be the most uh, exciting player on either, you know, offense uh, just will he be able to uh, use that explosiveness and playmaking ability against a, a pretty solid matchup in the Iowa defense? So uh, the the overall projection sees Kentucky winning this by at least a touchdown. The talent edge goes to Kentucky by almost double digits. The stats-only model still really likes Iowa, actually has Iowa favored in this game, but I do believe that Kentucky's rightly favored. And I agree with you, Scott, that that I think this is a game that Kentucky is just just the better team. And, and as good of a season as Iowa's had, as strong as they were coming out of the gate, I, I think this is one of the weaker 
you know, 10 win power five teams that we've seen in a while. I was actually just 57th in our overall power rankings, uh, which is seems incredible to say for a 10 win team. Uh, but Kentucky, you know, has an opportunity to get to 10 wins and is, has been a, a pretty solid, consistent team most of the year. And I just, I think is the better team here. And, and I think has a good chance to win this uh, game by at least a touchdown and, and maybe double digits. At 57th, like you said, for a team that ranked two at one point right. this year. Yeah. So uh, pretty surprising. Xavier, how do you see the Citrus Bowl going? Yeah, I really like Kentucky. And not just because of the things, you know, and I know that Josh Ali won't be in this game, but I think what Mark Stoops does so well is the creative ways he does. He, he makes sure he gets his best athletes the ball. Like Wondell Robinson will get the ball, whether he has to get it behind the line of scrimmage or in front of the line of scrimmage. They're going to find a way to make sure that he can be as explosive as possible in this matchup. And the thing about Iowa that's been so porous about them is their offense has just completely stagnated. Like, I, I don't know if they, you know, you know, we talk about sometimes a, a team will be rolling and then they'll lose a game and then all of a sudden they're broken. That's Iowa. They lost to Purdue, and their team has just been broken ever since. You know, the offense just has, has had no kind of momentum. You know, uh, without Tyler Goodson, I want to know what that running game was even going to look like um, against Kentucky. And then Kentucky, on the flip side, can do it on both ways. They can run the football, or they're, they're pretty confident with throwing the football. And on top of that, they believe Will Levis is another running threat. I mean, Will Levis, you know, is a guy who – I wouldn't consider, you know, the most mobile, but they like to, you know, they, they put him in run packages. They're not afraid with him running in between the tackles or, or, or running outside. You know, this is a guy this year who has run for over a hundred yards. Heck, he did it in the last game against Louisville. So I, I think that this, you know, UK team on top of that is hitting their stride at the right time too. I think this is a team that right now is firing on all cylinders offensively. They just put up 52 points in their last ball game, uh, which is their second highest point total all year. They had their highest two point totals in the last two ball games, was 56 and 52. This offense is firing, uh, and I think that they're that they're going to carry that against a Purdue team that's been much maligned and just has not been able to figure. Or sorry, not Purdue, Iowa team that's been much maligned and hasn't been able to really figure themselves out since the Purdue loss. There we go. Uh, so I like Kentucky in this matchup, and I like Kentucky to get to ten wins. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, I, I think this game is a pretty easy one. What's not as easy is Utah versus Ohio State. Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Ohio State's a four and a half point favorite. 64 is the over under. Obviously, lots of opt outs for uh, Ohio State. A lot of guys going to the NFL. Garrett Wilson, uh, you know, Chris Olave, uh, Petit Friere, uh, ha Garrett Haskell. And so there, there's a lot of guys missing. And, you know, Utah beat the crap out of Oregon twice, which is one of the teams that beat uh, Ohio State this year. So, uh, you know, by the transitive properties, this should be Utah by a million, right? But uh, uh, obviously, Ohio State with C.J. Stroud still very strong on offense, even replacing those guys. So, how do you see the Rose Bowl going going here, Nick? So, I don't, I don't love our projection. Uh, we are on Ohio State to cover the four and a half, and and it is a situation where all three of the models agree, and it's similar to the things I said about Pitt, where uh, sometimes you know, our projection system just can't quite catch up maybe right now with the amount of roster turnover, or at least, you know, the, the market uh, is able to react 
quicker and maybe more completely than than we are. Uh, you know, we're obviously doing the individual player ratings, doing the uh, full depth charts and all that. We're designed to be able to uh, account for these sort of things. But it, it seems like for whatever reason, this bowl season, you know, we just can't quite get there. And I mentioned with the pit game is partly the team performance numbers, you know, weigh pretty heavily there. And Ohio State is the number one offense in the country, number one passing offense in the country in our team performance ratings. And so when you're without two max rated wide receivers, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, it's it's kind of difficult to uh, you know say that, yeah, even though they're not going to be uh, lacking for wide receiver options, I think a pair of five stars are going to step up and start uh, alongside Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was the leading receiver for Ohio State this year. So they're, you know, going to be fine but still is it is it still a foregone conclusion that this will be the number one passing offense in the country as it takes the field in the rose bowl you know you, you maybe could argue that the loss of Olave and wilson will have some impact at least a a, a couple of spots in in the rankings maybe if they were able to play uh if we were able to project out a full season with this roster i don't know but uh, you know, Ohio State is one of the most talented teams in the country. They rank third in overall roster strength, number two on offense. Utah, as good as they've been, and they are a top 10 team in our power rankings. They're a 10-win team, you know, Pac-12 champs, uh, and they've been one of the hottest teams in, in college football, uh, you know, at least the second half of the season. There are plenty of reasons to say, okay, yeah, this Utah team can certainly hang with Ohio State, might even be able – to beat them. If, if you're looking at all the, uh, you know, motivational factors, you know, maybe Utah has a big, big edge there. They've, they've certainly had, you know, played with a lot of emotion. They've dealt with a lot of tragedy the last year or so. And, and, and in recent weeks, uh, in, in the last few months, I should say, uh, Utah seems to have really rallied around that tragedy, losing teammates to, uh, you know, elevate their their level of play. It also has uh, worked out that Cameron Rising stepped up, took over the quarterback job, and played like a, an all Pac-12 quarterback. Uh, it also, you know, Utah is consistently one of the better teams in the country at the line of scrimmage. Their offensive line ranks sixth in our O-line performance. Their defensive line ranks 21st, and, and Mika Tafua has been one of the most productive uh, defensive lineman in college football this season. And then Devin Lloyd might be the best linebacker in, in college football. I mean, he's just been an absolute joy to watch. So Utah is is playing like a great team. Uh, they're, they're talented, but they're even playing at a higher level than, you know, what their talent profile might suggest. So they're, they're a legitimate threat to win this game. Uh, you know, the running game has come around. Tavion Thomas has played incredibly, incredibly well in the second half of the season. And then I also really like TJ Pledger. I mean, they're, they're one of the best running back duos in the country. Uh, and Ohio State, along the line of scrimmage, going to be missing at least a couple of guys. Uh, one on either side, as you mentioned, Haskell Garrett, uh, Nicholas petit Friere, one on defense, one on offense. But again, like the, the wide receiver position, they're going to be just filling in five stars to, to those spots. So uh, one of the things that is a little bit interesting, I'll try not to get too much on a, on a tangent here. I know we're trying to wrap up, uh, but this bowl season, because we've had so many opt-outs, because we've had, unfortunately, you know, COVID issues and things like that affecting what we see on the field, in some ways, I think it's going to help 
me personally, as I'm looking ahead already to 2022, because these bowl games in some ways kind of feel like spring games where we might just get a little bit more of a glimpse at what the, the teams will look like in 2022. And in, in some ways, I feel like, all right, we have to just throw out these results because these you know bowl teams aren't the teams that we saw in the regular season. But in other ways, maybe we're actually getting something that's a little even more useful for next year than we would have otherwise. It's, it's kind of a weird dance, but uh, at least that's what I'm telling myself. So Ohio State, we'll get a, we'll get a look at the receiving core, what it's going to look like in 2022. Uh, we'll get a look at, you know, maybe a, a, an offensive lineman or two that we wouldn't have. We'll get an extended look at a defensive lineman or two that we wouldn't have. So uh, going back to the game, there are a lot of reasons why I kind of wish we were on Utah. Um, I, I think that some of the things that we can't put a number on, they've got big advantages. And, and a lot of the things we do put a number on, specifically roster strength and, and just overall talent metrics, Ohio State's just got a, a big, big edge that it's difficult for our projection model to, to you know, account for uh, or to offset by some of those things that, that Utah has in abundance. So we're on Ohio State to win and cover. I don't feel great about it. I certainly think it could happen because Ohio State, regardless of the players that won't be there, will be able to field one of the most talented teams in college football. Uh, but this feels like a game that that maybe Utah just emotionally is is going to be able to have uh, a reason to to you know go out and, and win a game that uh, statistically or or uh, you know metrics wise or, or, or especially roster numbers wise talent numbers wise you would expect Ohio State to, to win by a touchdown or more so our, our final score prediction is 34 26 I think that's probably too much uh, if Ohio State wins I, I kind of see it being uh, a field goal game um, certainly they could win by double digits or more if if just the talent wins out but I think this will be a, a closer game than our projections and, and I actually kind of like Utah Javier, uh, Utah? Or are no. you going with Utah, or are you, you going with Ohio State? All right. Yeah, because I, I, as much as Garrett Wilson and, and those guys not being there obviously means a hell of a lot, this is also a team that still features Julian Fleming behind Jackson Smith and Jigba. Julian Fleming came into the year as a guy that people thought was going to be wide receiver number one, and he just didn't work out that way, right? So now he gets to be wide receiver number two between behind Jackson Smith and Jigba. It might be just as, if not more talented than the guys who were on the field last year. I think when you look at it with the way that Ohio State probably planned in coming into the year, it probably, CJ Stroud is probably comfortable with about six receivers deep, the way that their offense runs. So yeah, he doesn't have the cream of the crop, you know, understanding and talent like he did with, you know, Alave and, uh, and Garrett Wilson. But Jackson Smith and Jigba obviously took over midway through the year. Julian Fleming was a five-star who, from from all you know publications coming into the year, was a guy that most people thought was going to start for Ohio State. And I think you know to find the third receiver is not going to be that hard, even if that has to be Tra uh, Trayvon Henderson, and that might be the guy he looks forward to out of the backfield. You know, in this ball game, I don't think their offense slows down at all. I think with Utah, Oregon was a perfect matchup for Utah. They didn't like throwing the football. They're not a really good throwing team in Oregon. They wanted to run the football, and Utah knew that. Utah knew that if they got up by one or two scores, then it was going to be very difficult for Oregon to come back because they didn't have the firepower to do so. A complete difference with Ohio State. 
Ohio State wants to throw the ball and run the football. They're a balanced team. They're a pissed-off team. They lost to Michigan for the first time under Harbaugh. This is a team in Ohio State that needs to let everybody know going into next year, we're just as good as you thought we were, and we may be even better next year with C.J. Stroud going into year two. This is going to be an opportunity for them to put up a big middle finger to the rest of the country that's like, well, Ohio State lost to Michigan. Maybe we're seeing a shift in the Big Ten. They're like, no, no, we're still the most talented team. We're going to show you we're the most talented team, and we're going to show you why next year we're going to be in the AP top four, top three or four teams, top five teams in the country going into next season. Um, if I was Ohio State's coach, I was Ryan Day. What I would do is I would show him the tape of Utah beating up on Alabama in a, a couple of years. What was that? Five, six, seven years ago when Alabama didn't make the, the national championship game. They had to go play Utah. Yeah. Utah took advantage of that game and, and beat the brakes off of Alabama. I'd be like, hey, this is what happens if you don't respect Utah coming into this game. They will absolutely kill us. So that, that, that would be my vote of confidence right there, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I've got Ohio State in this game too, but mm -hmm. it, it is going to be – um, Utah can come to play. So, and if I, I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, Utah, Utah's gonna be one of my teams I keep in my back pocket going into next year because that'd be okay. three big games I was wrong against. So, all right, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, make them a strength instead of a weakness. I get mm -hmm. it. Uh, this one is tough. The uh, the Sugar Bowl, uh, Baylor versus Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a one and a half point favorite because Matt Corral is going to play. Uh, but uh, you know, I talked about this on betting pros yesterday, Nick. To me. Baylor feels like an SEC team and Ole Miss feels like a Big 12 team to me. So uh, it's kind of they, they've seen each other as far as opponents go uh, a lot this season, I think. But I do have a slight uh, edge towards Ole Miss in this game because Matt Corral is coming back. And I think that's going to get these guys amped to play like we've been talking about throughout all of bowl season. Sometimes it's just hard for these teams. Uh, obviously, Mississippi State just did not show up to their bowl game at all. Right. So um Sometimes it's hard to inspire these guys, but I think Matt Corral coming to play is going to be big for Ole Miss, and I think they take it because of that. Uh, how do you see this one going? Real quick, I, I do want to say, Xavier, finally you're getting old because that, that Utah win over Alabama was in uh, after the 2008 season. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've got age. Let's go. <laughs> you're getting there. You've been, you've been hanging around with Scott and me too much. Uh, but yeah, the, so I'm, I'm excited for the Baylor Ole Miss game. I think that these are two of the programs that are kind of the, the, I think I, I, even though I've been, I've not been a, a football coach for quite a long time now, uh, I still think a little like I did when I coached football and, and I, uh, when I'm looking at, at certain teams, I think about, oh, man, I would love to study that scheme or, or you know, love to study this program in the offseason. And I feel like uh, a lot of coaches and people have been studying the Ole Miss offense, certainly uh, since Lane Kiffin got there. But um, I, I feel like Baylor is absolutely, you know, going to be the hottest, most studied uh, defense in college football and, and for you know high school coaches and other college coaches are, are going to be studying a lot of Baylor you're going to be talking uh, you know message boards about film swaps as much Baylor all 22 as you can get and I feel like Ole Miss in, in a lot of ways will be that on offense uh, will continue to be that on offense so this this matchup will be a lot of fun because of that because these are two really really 
respected coaches and coaching staffs on their respective sides of the ball. The Ole Miss offense, which has been a top 10 unit, uh, really, really good uh, rushing offense. They rank six in a rushing offensive team performance uh, in part because they've got quality running backs. Jerry Neely is a game breaker when he's fully healthy, uh, can do some really, really fun things. But Harry uh, Henry Parrish and Snoop Connor give him a lot of depth there. Matt Corral has been able to run and, and has uh, you know made an impact on the ground. Um, and he's had to do that with, with uh, the wide receiver core being as banged up as it has been this season, but has finally gotten a little healthy. You know, we, we did get a chance to see Braylon Edwards, Jonathan Mingo, and Ontario Drummond all three together for the first time since what week one uh, during the Egg Bowl, and and they all should be rested up and ready to go. And and are you know Sanders and Drummond specifically, and, and as well as Jacour Pearson, their number four, and a guy who really stepped up with. Uh, you know, Sanders and, and Drummond uh, banged up this year. All those guys are out of eligibility. So they're not necessarily high, you know, expected to be high draft pick guys, but they flash enough in college. And this, you know, you would expect they're going to be out there with an opportunity. Hey, let's give it one more shot. Let me put something on tape that could give me, a, you know, could get me drafted, could get me uh, uh, an invite to training camp, what have you. So I, I think that the Ole Miss offense, we could see, you know, uh, pretty close to it at full strength. And then going up against the Baylor defense that schematically, you know, Dave Aranda has, has uh, already in a, in a small amount of time as a head coach. And certainly it was arguably the, the best defensive coordinator, certainly on the short list before he got this head coaching job. But I think he's kind of almost taken it to another level now that he has influence on both sides of the, the football for his program. You know, this Baylor defense is just really, really difficult to, uh, you know, even though the, 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 the numbers, they're not a dominant unit. I mean, they rank 31st in defensive team performance. They actually rank 83rd in passing defensive team performance. You know, they are not uh, putting up single digits in any of the major statistical categories. They're 45th in yards per play, 67th in yards per pass attempt, 59th in EPA per play. You know, they, they are top 25 in success rate and points per drive, but the, the streak of the Baylor defense is more – you know, creating matchups and, and getting leverage and, uh, you know, just just well-coached, fundamental, all the, you know, buzzword, whatever. But they they are a better defense than maybe what the, the statistics show. And with Aranda and his coaching staff having extra time to prepare, it's it's just going to be a really, really fun matchup. So, you know, I, I, I don't have uh, huge expectations coming in one way or the other. Our projection model does, you know, give Ole Miss, uh, uh, does have Ole Miss favored, believes they're rightly favored uh, by more than a field goal. So, you know, there's a there's a little bit of room there where I, I feel like, okay, there's, you know, our numbers pretty consistently expect Ole Miss to win this game. The talent edge is quite big for Ole Miss. It's almost double digits. The stats model sees it as, as basically a toss-up. And because of the you know, Baylor's defense being a little bit better 
than maybe what it shows statistically. And then offensively, Baylor should be closer to full strength because it sounds like Gary Bohannon is going to be back and, and able to play. So, you know, we should see the the top 10 rushing defense, excuse me, rushing offense for Baylor going up against a rush defense for Ole Miss that is triple digits in team performance. But also Baylor should be able to be a little more balanced because Bohannon hopefully will be back on the field and be able to, you know, take shots with Tyquan Thornton and RJ Sneed and, and those guys. But I just think this is going to be a, a I might be more excited about this game than than any of them so far. I just I just feel like the the contrast in style, the uh the just sort of you know elite defensive mind of Dave Aranda and then the Lane Kiffin offense. And we are we are going to see the Lane Kiffin offense, right? Because Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, is has taken the job at Oklahoma. So I believe that Kiffin will be, you know, will have been fully uh, in charge here of, of the offense heading into this bowl game. So I'm just really, really excited to, to watch the game. Uh, our prediction for the final score is 32-29, a little higher scoring maybe than, than I would expect. I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I I, I just feel like maybe we, we shave a few points off of that and, and bring it under is probably where I'd rather be. But as Xavier said, you know, at the, the beginning of the show in the bowl games, and especially right now, the overs do seem uh, like the, the, the better play, at least anecdotally. So uh, this again, I'm rambling, but I, I'm really, really excited in this one. We do have Ole Miss winning and covering, but uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a great matchup. What do you think, Xavier? Are you going Baylor or Ole Miss? Ole Miss. I, I think this is going to be a really ugly performance. I'll be perfectly honest with you. It's going to be a sloppy game. I think I think both teams are going to have some situations where you're like, wow, amazing. Other situations where you're like, that was stupid. Uh, so I think that that's going to be this game. I think when I look at Ole Miss versus Baylor, Baylor's going to have to be really opportunistic defensively. They're just really going to have to. And I don't think that they have played a quarterback as confident as Matt Corral is in both his arm and his legs. Like that's really where I think is going to be the separation in this ball game. It's not just the fact that Matt Corral is going to have finally, you know, his group of receivers around him. It's also that he's going to have, you know, the ability, you know, he likes to run the football. He is a guy who is fully comfortable with dropping, you know, with, with taking it under his wing and running for six, running for eight. And he's not a guy who likes to slot. Like, watch Matt Corral some of his runs this year. He is expecting contact, and he wants you to let up so that he can get an extra fifteen when you forget that he's a quarter when, that he's a football player and tackle him like a quarterback. Like this is a guy who will put his body on the line. I have no concerns that he won't put his body on the line for the, for Ole Miss because I feel like Ole Miss. You know, he 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 feels very much indebted to Ole Miss in the way that they took him in and the way that they have taken him in um, under Lane Kiffin and things of that nature. I really like Ole Miss in this game. I don't think Baylor has enough firepower to win this ball game. But if Baylor can make it ugly, like I'm saying, if they can make it sloppy, if they can make Ole Miss, you know, turn the ball over. Um, Ole Miss had a game similarly to this earlier this year that was really close in a game that I thought that they were just downright the better, the better ball club. If they can make it, you know, that way, I think they win this game. It was against Tennessee when they won only 31 to 26. I think if if Baylor can make it a sloppy matchup just like that one was, I think they have an opportunity. Otherwise, Ole Miss should run away with this ballgame. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. It's a very, very close one. And the last one uh, of the week here is going to be until the national championship on the 10th of January. Uh, the Texas Bowl, LSU versus Kansas State. Kansas State is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, believe it or not. The over-under is 48 because – no one is playing for LSU. Everyone has opted out or transferred. Uh, it's a very weird situation, this bowl game uh, right now. But 
I think Kansas State wins just because they have players. So um, LSU, I think in almost every single scenario outside of this one, is going to be favored over a team like Kansas State simply because of the talent level that they recruit at versus the talent level that Kansas State recruits at. But in this game, I think you have to lean towards Kansas State because they want to play, their starters are playing, and there's just a lot of holes to fill for LSU. So how do you see this one going, Nick? Yeah, I, I agree. Our, our projections do have Kansas State favored to win this individual matchup. Our, our official projection uh, does have Kansas State as a slight favorite. Uh, our other two models see LSU as favored and, and pretty big. I mean, the talent edge, pretty big for LSU. Just looking at the recruiting ratings, that's not going to be uh, you know unexpected, especially when you consider Kansas State's one of the lower rated uh, power five programs as far as recruiting numbers go but you know Kansas State certainly does have some talent and LSU as you mentioned is is going to be without some significant uh players they have been for a while now I mean injuries have just wreaked havoc on this LSU roster defensively I mean they they are playing without what half a dozen guys who were expected to you know start and, and be big time performers coming into the year. And they've already, of course, had some opt-outs for NFL draft guys as well. And then the quarterback position. I mean, you know, losing your starting quarterback, LSU is one of the long, long lists uh, of teams that have seen their starting quarterback enter the transfer portal. And because of the kind of unique situation, Garrick Nussmeyer would have been the starter in this game, but he's already played in four games as a true freshman. So it, it seems like, you know, I know there was some talk about finding a waiver for him to be able to play in this and still keep his red shirt. Don't believe that worked out, but with him and with Miles Brennan being out for the entire season, uh, looks like they're going to Matt O'Dowd, who's uh, I you know, walk on non-rated player as a true freshman going to be the starter here. And that's not necessarily, you know, a great situation for, for a team uh, going into a bowl game. So you'd expect that they'll lean real heavily on uh, Tyron Davis price. That running game has been an issue for LSU this year. Davis price had, you know, one or two really good games, uh, but overall just a body of work for the entire season, they rank 121st in rushing team performance. And that rush defense is the strength of the Kansas State defense. Not a not an elite, uh, you know, number by by any means, but top fifty in rush defense. You know, you would have to say that that matchup uh, favors Kansas State. Weird, little bit of a, a tricky situation as far as our projections go on the K State side because Skylar Thompson has been injured this year. We did decide when we went our, our official projection because. Uh, if he is going to play in this game, don't necessarily expect that he'll be a hundred percent. Certainly would expect, you know, either he or Will Howard uh, or both probably still give Kansas state an edge at, at the quarterback position, but Skylar Thompson, really, really experienced player, good player uh, over a 90 rating is his individual player rating. Will Howard is under an 80, but was, you know, considered the starter last year when Thompson was also injured. Uh, but having those players slashed, it did keep the projection to uh, less than a field goal. If we did have Thompson slated as the only starter, it actually would flip the projection to Kansas State 
uh, by like 3.74. So it would actually flip our projection. Uh, but as it stands, and and I, I probably shouldn't have made that choice. I probably should have put us on Kansas State to, to win and cover. Uh, but I thought, you know, I thought it made sense that, that we don't necessarily know that Thompson's full strength. So I kind of wanted to let it play out as it as it would that way. Uh, but regardless, this game is is an all three agree for LSU because the, the two that don't take into account the roster uh, as it stands right this second, see LSU is a, a heavy, heavy favorite in talent edge in the stats only model. But the uh, the other that does include the opt outs, does include the injuries on the LSU side that really, really just just stack up. We did get Kansas State favored, but not quite enough to cover. So the final score prediction here is 28-26. Uh, probably a little too high scoring, uh, unless Deuce Vaughn gets loose, one of the most explosive, exciting players in college football, one of the, the uh, best receiving running backs in college football, can make an impact in a variety of ways, can score. I mean, you know, it's a, a cliche, but uh, a threat to score anytime he touches the football. I mean, that that's Deuce Vaughn. And if you're especially talking about an LSU defense that is shorthanded at all three levels, uh, it, it's it's not a great matchup for LSU here. So I, I do kind of wish that I had officially uh, tweaked it to the point where I had Skylar Thompson as the outright starter and, and would have us on Kansas State to cover. Uh, but this this does you know even though LSU on paper should be able to hang in a lot of ways is the better team or the more talented team I should say this this all signs really point to Kansas State just having more uh, available and in a better position to win this game and and probably to cover as well. Xavier, what do you think about the Texas Bowl here? Are you on LSU with the better roster but uh, holes in it, or are you on the worst roster with the full? you know, complement of most of their starters here. Well, I mean, hey, Nick alluded to the fact that we're going to be able to see some 2022, you know, possibilities. We're seeing the 2022 LSU Tigers to an extent right now. Like we're seeing a lot of them. Obviously, we're not seeing the recruit uh, recruiting class. That they You're just not taking in. into account Brian Kelly's Cajun accent on that sideline, though. I'm also so. not taking into account the dance moves he had in that recruiting video with Walker right. Howard. So, I mean, you take the bad with the good, right? Like, so I, <laughs> Which one's bad? Which one's good? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think I'm going to take LSU here with the talent. Uh, as good as Kansas State has been this year, I, I just I, – I, I, if I'm a coach for Kansas State right now, with looking at the film, what, what do I project here outside of really Tyler Davis Price? Like – Outside of him, what am I expecting going into this matchup? I can't really expect much. And with that being the case, I think you're going to see some, you know, you're going to see Kansas State have to kind of like feel their way into the game, kind of like a boxer. They're going to have to try to feel their way in. And if, you know, if LSU hits them with a couple of haymakers in the first couple of, you know, possessions or the first half, it might be all she wrote because Kansas State, I don't think, will be prepared for an LSU team that for all, for, you know, when we look at the team, doesn't look like how they've looked all season, right? Outside of, like I said, Tyler Davis Price. So, I'm looking forward to this game because I want to see what LSU is going to look like going into next year. This will be the first kind of time we've seen them kind of, you know, with a little Brian Kelly influence. Uh, so I, I like it for that reason. But I'm going to pick LSU here um, just purely based off of the talent that they have on that roster. And it's their and to what I've said before, when new coaches come in, it's an opportunity for the rest of that roster to put out an audition tape. What better audition tape than a, than a bowl game? you know, the last bowl game of, you know, right before the national championship game to, to show this coaching staff that's coming in that I deserve to start next year or deserve more playing time. 
Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, uh, it's still bowl season. So we still have a lot unless COVID cancels all these games, uh, you know, uh, moving forward here. So there's still a lot to go, but now we will actually see you next year. I don't know. Well, my, my brain was not in calendar mode when I ended the last show, of course. Uh, but, uh, we will be back to talk about, you know, who's going to be in the national championship game and, uh, talk about that. But, um, you know, uh, until we see you guys next week, remember you can follow us all on Twitter uh, at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trist here, I C H E for Xavier. Uh, good luck, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. <laughs>